And now, you've read what I sent you, right? Yes, I have. Okay. okay, and that is a segue. We were talking about Dio, and that segues us into what is... I can't call it the main topic of tonight, because probably this will it, It's going to be one of, the, one of the topics tonight, yeah, but this is one we're going to spend a lot of time on. Yeah, it'll probably be an even split between Last of Us and this, once we stitch them together, because Last mm-hmm. of Us was an hour. At... Not episode. Chapter 2 of the JoJo Lands came out this weekend, and so now we're going to do our discussion of Chapter 2. So we go from Dio the Orangutan, Dio the Ape He's from not Orangutan, Sorry, he is a silverback gorilla. Excuse me, Dio the Gorilla from Transformers, and we're, now we're going to Joe Dio. I didn't read that part right there, that's the only part I didn't read. I didn't read that either. Alright, so we're in Chapter 2. two. I, I do feel it was interesting. Uh, so the the uh, just the basic basics of this story. Yeah. So far in this is not in this, but in this chapter is we have a flashback of Joe Dio. Dio. Uh, <laughs> and some woman, and she's trying to do like a drug deal with him. Yeah. It turns out she's a cop. Yeah. Which you know what's interesting is um. So I guess is um the tism. No, let's talk about that entire um scene then it was weird how she like drove up she just not drove but rode up and yeah. i was just like okay why are you like this woman well what's interesting is uh you've never watched breaking bad i know of it yeah there is a scene i believe in season two of breaking bad where one of jesse's friends who he's hired as a drug to de- sling his his and Walt's meth on the streets. The mule, essentially. Yeah, there's a cold open to one episode where that dude, his name is Badger, gets approached by a really reedy, nerdy-looking dude trying to buy drugs from him. It's a four-minute scene. I know this because I rewatched it on YouTube after reading this chapter, where Badger's convinced that the dude's an undercover cop and keeps telling him to prove that he's not a cop. And so the dude says the same thing that the woman in this chapter does, which is the dude says, all right, so... Because he talks like this, all right, I'll prove it to you like this. Cops can't lie. (laughs) Cops aren't allowed to lie because they're, like, supposed to be keepers of justice and stuff. So a cop who's undercover, if they get asked if they're a cop, is not legally allowed to say no. So just ask me if I'm a cop. And Badger goes, okay, are you a cop? And he raises his right hand and goes, I am not a police officer. And he goes, all right, 170 for a 10th. And then he gives him a bag of drugs. And the dude takes the bag. He's like this nerdy dude. He gets up like he's about to leave. Then he turns around to the bench Badger's sitting on. He gets like this like he's going to tie his shoe. He grabs a gun out of his ankle holster and goes, Albuquerque police, get on the ground now! (laughs) And then then two vans pull up and like just ten people jump out and just slam You said you weren't a cop! I lied. And that's the scene from, um, uh, what was it, um... Oh, Force Unleashed? Yeah, it was... I lied. You promised to stay away! I I lied. lied. (laughs) It's even simpler than that. I love the line delivery. I lied. (laughs) But so that's exactly what happens here. This woman... Which I saw her, I was like, okay, a little bit of female interest, let's see what's going on here. I was wondering if this was going to be like a love interest type thing, but no, it's an undercover DEA agent who's trying to get Jodio to sell her drugs. Oh, and something that I find really interesting is Jodio does here what he did with his classmate in the first chapter, where his classmate tried to buy drugs from him on the bus, 
And Jodio like basically beat him up. And then after they got off the bus, he called him back and said, Hey dude, you know, I just remembered I actually loaned you money a couple of weeks ago. And I assumed that the money you were trying to give me was to pay me back for that, right? And he takes yeah. the money and then says, all right, just go over there and just hang out for a minute. And then a second dude comes by and tells the dude where to get the drugs. And that's essentially what Jodio does here again, where this woman yeah. tries to buy the drugs off him. And Jodio basically harasses her and tells her, hey, you look pretty creepy. An adult shouldn't be talking to a kid like this, you weirdo. And when she starts to leave, he goes, hey, hey, dude, hold up, hold up. You can't quit that easily. I just remembered I lent you money, didn't I? I don't know why, but I just feel like the best like the best way to describe this female cop is if you had like basically she looks kind of like Amaranth. <laughs> I don't know why, but she just it's just like I picture her being a redhead. It, so did I actually. Like I picture her being a redhead. You see her like riding a bicycle up to Jodio as he's like, laying against a tree. She's like, hey, you got any drugs? I need to get me a score. <laughs> yeah. Except for she didn't say it like that, but... Well, she might have, actually. I mean, she... She definitely said it with that tone of voice. Hey, you got any drugs? <laughs> hey. Hey, you got any drugs? But yeah, I, I have a feeling, like, that's the kind of character that they were kind of going off of a little bit. Because she is fairly popular right now. You you know I wouldn't have thought of that until you said it. Now I could see that. I don't, yeah. I don't know how deep Arky is into the uh, Twitch thought sphere. I don't know how far he. It's bigger than Twitch. I swear to you. Dude. Well, that's true. But like, is Amaranth outside of Twitch? I I'll put it like this. Does she's her main platforms? Two. She has two main platforms. Okay. Twitch. And OnlyFans. I was going to guess that'd be the other one. But either way, both of those feel like they are very far outside of Arky's sphere yeah. of influence. Arky's, Arky's thing is like the raciest Arky gets is he has swimsuit calendars that someone else gives to him. Yeah. As a as a joke gift. Arky, Arky seems like the time... I know this isn't true because I know um, that it's public knowledge he's married and has two daughters. So I know he knows what sex is, but he seems like the type of dude who shouldn't know what sex is. <laughs> Because he's yeah. got his heads in the clouds all the time. Also, the the towards the end of the the flashback scene, we have these two officers come up and yep. they're well. Also, the same ones who harassed him and his brother in the first chapter. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize it was those two. That's why they brought up okay. his. That's why they brought up his older brother while they yeah. were. It arresting felt him. a little rapey. <laughs> well, yeah, because they were a little rapey in the first chapter sure. too. Uh. And so, it's it's actually funny. So, because this scene plays out the same way it did in that one Breaking Bad episode, what's funny is the entire time, I, was, I, had, that, I had that Breaking Bad episode in my head. And so, I was like, one of, one of two things is going to happen here. Either he's going to sell her the... He's going to take the bait that she... That a cop can't lie undercover... He's going to fall for that and get arrested. Or. Or two. Um, or two. Oh, there were three possibilities. Two. Um, he's not going to get arrested and Arky doesn't know how the American justice system works. That's a possibility. Or three. That would be funny, to be honest. It would. Um, or three. It could be. That make because he mentioned body cams, which is not a thing in Breaking Bad because body cams weren't a thing back in like 2010 or whatever. Yeah, 
And so there was a part of me that was like, maybe the policy actually has changed because of body cams for some reason. No. Like, maybe if there's video stuff of cops lying about something, like, maybe that would be inadmissible in court. So, and I did not consider that Breaking Bad could have gotten it wrong, because I was like, Breaking Bad is too good to have gotten this wrong. <laughs> Breaking Bad's too good, man. Yeah. So, I was, uh, I was not surprised that she wa- that she ha- was an undercover cop. I was afraid that she wouldn't be, because then I'd be like, oh, Arky, <laughs> do your research, my dude. Yeah. But, um, so the, the scene ends with Jody O's about to get arrested, and so what he does is he pulls out his stand November Rain and uses November Rain's heavy rain ability to destroy the drugs that he sold. To destroy the evidence. Yeah, to destroy the evidence so that they wouldn't be able to pin anything on him, or Paco, who was off also there and was also getting arrested. Yeah. I couldn't remember his name. Paco Labrantes. Labrantes. Yeah. Apparently it means worker in Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, that is the end of the first major part scene. Section. Yes, section of this chapter. So then it... And so then we get to what might be the most, the second most interesting thing to me in this chapter. Uh, Which... Which is... Joe Dio reveals through narration that he is a he is a clinically diagnosed psychopath, as in he has antisocial personality disorder, which they call to be a psychopath. But, yeah, which so, is colloquially known as psychopathy. So what to, they what they do is they take you make they make you take a test. Yeah, and if you fit uh, a certain number of them, then you could be diagnosed with this. Well, yeah. he, he fits 18 of the 20 yeah. questions. And the two that are specifically called out in this chapter is apparently Jodio has horrible impulse control. He can't control his own actions, so he will just... And he has a guilty conscience, too. No, he has a lack of guilt. Oh, lack of... I could... Uh, yeah. He does, not have the, he does not have the ability to feel guilt for the stuff he does, so... That's actually a really ter- that's actually a really scary combination. You you have really poor impulse control and you don't ever feel guilty for the stuff you do. Yeah, that's bad news bears. That's a really bad combination. But for someone like me who is really fascinated in psychology, I was considering that for my major before I chose ministry to go down. I was really considering a degree sort of in psychology because I find this stuff incredibly fascinating yeah and especially for someone who's interested in creative writing and really likes writing like me this idea of you just establish that your your main character is someone who is a clinically diagnosed psychopath who does not feel guilt has poor impulse control psychopathy and sociopathy are not the same thing but there are a lot of overlaps to them Mm -hmm. i also find sociopathy very intriguing for for anyone who doesn't know um, I actually don't know psychopathy as well as socio- sociopathy. So, psychopath and sociopath, like those okay. are the two differences. Psychopath, generally with psychopath, people just think of outright crazy. It's not actually that broad. It's very, it's much more specific than that. Like, Jodio would be classified as a psychopath, but he does, he's not just like out of his mind crazy. 
Like, it's what much more nuanced than that, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just he he suffers from these issues. Yeah. Now, a sociopath I find really intriguing. That's not what Jodio is, but there is overlap. What is an example of someone who is a sociopath? I'm going to get into it. So, when I, I took criminal justice classes in high school, before college, when I was really considering uh, criminal justice as a career path for myself, and my... Um, our teachers in those classes were former police officers who Aww, who knew cool. this kind of stuff. And I remember one of my um, teachers once described sociopathy at once. Most most serial killers, your John Wayne Gacy's, your um, Jeffrey Dahmer's, your Ed Ted, Gein. Ed, he's a really good one. I will use him as a as an example. In Ed minute. Gein, if uh, for those who don't know, he's the guy who inspired uh, Psycho. And, oh, that's right. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He, he killed like a dozen women, skinned them, and made furniture out of their skins. Is what and also masks. Did. I did not know about the masks. Yes, he made he made masks. But so most serial killers like that are sociopaths. And the way my teacher explained it to me once was he said to a sociopath, what he did is he took a tissue and he blew his nose and then threw it away. He said to a sociopath, taking a life is no different than what I just did. They don't have any value for human life. They don't feel empathy. They don't. They aren't able to empathize. And so, to them, inanimate objects and living beings aren't different. They're just objects to interact with. It, yeah, they're all there to serve yeah. the individual. And so, throwing away a used Kleenex is no different to a sociopath than taking a life, because to a sociopath, they're not different. Like, there's no sacredness to life or anything like that. Interesting. Which is. Which is different than what you, which is entirely different than um, relative morality, which is what you find a lot of people talk about these days, where nothing is actually inherently objectively moral. You know what I mean? Yeah. People debate. People that. create their own morals. People essentially. People create their own morals. Sociopathy is not that. Sociopathy is basically you're born with the you're not you don't you just don't have the capacity to think of human lives. It's like that part of your brain didn't develop. Exactly. It's like you don't have you really you literally don't have the ability to classify human lives higher than something like a Kleenex because your brain just interprets them as the same thing in value. I'm actually it's so funny that I'm going to say this. I'm actually going to borrow a quote from a Transformers comic to help me explain this. Oh my gosh. There's a is it about Scorn? What? Is it about No, not Scorn, Tarn. No. Is it, if it's not about Tarn, then I don't want to hear it. Tar, Tarn's <laughs> a good one, but I'm actually talking about Shockwave. I don't want to hear it. The it's not Tarn. The Decepticon mad scientist. He had, there's, it's not Tarn. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> he has a line in one of the comics where he says, where, um, I don't remember what someone said to him to get this response out of him, but he's like a Decepticon mad scientist who actually yeah. had his he had his emotions deleted, so he doesn't feel oh, emotion at I all. I was not aware of that. That depends on the continuity, but a lot of versions of Shockwave don't feel emotion because his emotion. He's the one who originally was. Uh, he's he had the like, like rocket launcher here. Or whatever. No, he's the one eye. He's the Cyclops. Yeah, Cyclops. But yeah. He, but it, didn't he have like a like a rocket launcher kind of deal here, like a rocket tube? I don't recall that. I don't recall any version of and, him with that though. And then he um, he usually has a he, he usually has a gun for a hand. It but, may be that. Uh, but like I remember the weird thing about him was he. Uh, transformed into like a radio or like a boombox. No, that's Soundwave. Oh, Soundwave getting... has the cannon. Oh, I'm getting the two mixed up. Soundwave and Shockwave. No, Shockwave is the purple one with the giant uh, Cyclops eye. Okay, so which one's the worm guy? Shockwave. Okay, 
I know which one you're talking about. Soundwave was who they were going to try and use as Blackout originally. Uh, in the first Transformers movie, but then they transform they used Blackout instead. Yeah, that was he was, that was one originally going to be Soundwave. Yeah, but Soundwave. so here are pictures of Shockwave for you. Yes, G one movie. Yes, uh, Transformers Prime. I, I get the two mixed up all the time just yeah. because they're so close in name. Um, but Shockwave has a line in one of the comics. I remember what was said to him to get this response out of him, but he had a line where he said, "All life." Um, all life is equal. I merely assign it a, quanti- a quantifiable value of zero. Oh. Which is a really long-winded of saying, I think all life is equally worthless. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's which what it is sounds like. Basically, oh. a, a sociopath's outlook on life. All life is equally worthless. But so, that's not what Jodio is. But J- Jodio is, like, he is, he understands things, but he just doesn't have... Like, a moral compass, I guess. Yeah, he doesn't really have a moral, strong moral compass because he doesn't feel guilt and stuff. All the stuff that should... All the stuff in your brain that would usually tell you not to do something, he doesn't have. Yeah. Um, and characters like that are what... Just at a baseline, I don't need to know anything else. I just know they've got a mental... Dis- it's not a disability, but like a mental disorder it's, like that. It's a, it's a disadvantage, if anything. A sort of a disorder like that. Just knowing that makes me go, oh, you have my attention. Yeah. Because I want to know how this character with this disorder who cannot feel guilt or or remorse or anything like that, I want to see what you do with him. Because that's harder to write than a normal person. And if you can write it well, that's extra cool. Yes. So, so the thing that's really cool about this also is um, over the last couple weeks, like I've really been listening to a lot of like true crime okay and so like i've been listening to stuff about um uh, there's a particular podcast i like uh not gonna shout them out but they uh they're a couple and they she's obsessed with it he hates it and so like instead of her watching stuff all the time the the um the agreement is she does research on something heavily gets all the information she can gets as update uh, as updated information as she can and then uh tells him about the case hmm. one day a week or two days a week okay and so she gets his raw reactions and these are things that she's just studied okay. and she likes doing this stuff and it's a husband and wife and they're uh around our age Okay, I can't I can't blame him for not liking that stuff because I find he he's your traditional like like just kind of like I go outside a grill or he, he not even that he's more like your your stereotypical like jock a little bit a little yeah. bit well um, for me, I wouldn't say jock per se because I don't know if he truly is or not but well for me I'm thinking about it from the perspective of I really like. All of these sort of this personality stuff, the psycho. I find the psychology behind like killers and stuff like that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, watching the documentaries where it talks about how they how they went about their killings, what they did, like if you get if you have a Jeffrey Dahmer, it talks about what parts of the body he would eat, he would eat, or what he would oh. do with the bodies afterwards. When you watch stuff like that, one eight hundred Dahmer yeah, stuff <laughs> stuff like that. Um, 
I find the psychology fascinating, but when it actually gets into the gruesome bits of it, yeah. it makes me, it makes me really depressed, and it makes me want to stop watching. Uh, so it, for me, in the last like week, week and a half, yeah, I've probably listened to like 30, 40 episodes of this podcast, mm-hmm. and just really like listened to a whole bunch of these things. And it's really cool to get to like see the. It, it's it's cool for me just to see like. It's not just, like, in your little area, or it's not just these, like, big-name people. You have these horrible stories that are all over the place, and it shows that it is quite a widespread issue. But it's just things to, like, look out for and see what um, things have happened over time. Like, an example, there was one, it was a very, very gruesome thing. Young woman decided to hitchhike to get to a, a friend's house or whatever. And it was only going to take a couple days, maybe. And she gets to a certain point, and she's just, like, hitchhiking um, in California. Gets picked up by this guy and his wife. And uh, turns out they're... Uh, he's... Um, he's kidnapped her, essentially. Oh. And the wife is kind of in on it because... The things that he does to the kidnapped girl, he no longer does to the wife. So it was a payoff. And since she's like, I, he no longer is doing this stuff to me because he has someone else as an outlet, to which it was mm-hmm. very gruesome stuff. Uh, she was, <clears throat> she still deals with um, the physical issues, not just the mental issues, because she was kept in a wooden box. Uh, for months, like seven, eight months. Okay. It was in a standing position, essentially. No, no, it was in laying down position, and she was like in the dark for a very long time. And well, yeah, if you got a, if it, if you, if it's got you laying down for months, your muscles are going to atrophy. Yeah. Well, it's not just that they've atrophied; they've permanently become atrophied. Oh. And, like, she has spinal issues, hip issues. Sure. Uh, all this stuff. And on top of all that, uh, for the first long bit, the only thing that would happen is she'd be able to come out of the box. She would be force-fed, I guess. Um, and uh, then she would... Um, he would do horrible acts to her. Of course. Um, and then he'd put her back in the box. And... It was two separate boxes. A box from for her body, from the neck down, and then a box solely for her head. Which was weird. Yeah. And so when he goes to kidnap her originally, he just puts a box on her head. As like a blindfold. And so, the woman was in captivity with him for seven years. Mm. She, she made it out. But, uh, she's... Definitely dealt with the physical scars from it and the mental scars because she's at least gone through four husbands since then. Because they just they just can't handle it. And she can't handle it either, essentially. Because mm-hmm. uh, the only way she dealt with it is to emotionally divide herself from the situation. Sure. Which is a weird thing. But at the same time, it's the only thing that got her through. Sure. And I don't think that we're going to go that direction 
with JoJo, but like that's like a case that that is a very horrible case though. Well, if we're obviously not going to go that direction. No, Luke. no, no. I'm, I'm hoping JoJo n- never goes in that sort of direction, like going absolutely crazy or anything of that nature. But mm-hmm. I know Araki probably would never do that. I so I didn't think you were. It didn't even cross my mind that JoJo would ever go in this direction. So you say, and I hope JoJo never goes in this direction. I'm like, what? No, I mean, I, I hope, like, so we have, like, the obvious ideas of a psychopath. And so yeah. I'm just like, okay. I wonder what directions he's going to go. I, well, I have, like, almost 100% sure. But in the back of my head, I'm like, well, there are lots of, who knows? Well, there are lots of cool directions. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of deviate from where we were i'm actually going to apologize to, to you luke why because i'm not i'm about to talk about one of the few things about attack on titan that i still like there is there is so a, thank you all for tuning into this episode <laughs> uh there's a, there's a character in attack on Ta- titan who is a psychopath uh he's never officially referred to as such but i interpret him to be a sociopath okay actually there's a character in Attack on Titan named Kenny, who is... Does he die every episode? He does die eventually, which is sad. Cause every episode, though? No, which is sad because he's, fa- he's my favorite character. He's my favorite character, too. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> even though I don't even watch that show. <laughs> I'm actually talking about Kenny from Attack on Titan. I'm talking about Kenny from South Park. <laughs> but, so, Kenny... The backstory on him is that he used to be a serial killer... And his tar- he would target members of the police. So he would go around... Ah. Yeah, he was... His, uh, his serial killer name was Kenny the Ripper. Obvious play on Jack the Ripper. <sighs> and he would target po- military police officials because it's revealed some of the lore in Attack on Titan is... Um, spoilers for Attack on Titan. This is stuff the anime... Who cares at this point? <laughs> this is stuff the anime's covered. Um, so I think you know Luke, because you said he gave it a try, right? Like one. No. Episode. Oh, okay. I I wouldn't even do that. Uh, well, the premise. Of I, it, I I had some self respect. Yeah. So, so <laughs> the premise of Attack on Titan, I think you would know this though, is that they're Probably. all they're inside the one hundred foot walls because Titans. I actually have a deck building game. Okay. That's Attack on Titan. Okay. So I know somewhat about it. Okay, so the the lore starting out in the series is the world has become completely overrun by these like fifty foot tall man eating giants. Yeah. And to survive, the last remnants of humanity built three hundred foot walls in a big circle to live in that the Titans couldn't get into. And um, what's eventually discovered is that all of that history is made up. The world is fine outside of the walls. Um, and it was all done by Kenny. No, <laughs> um, the world is fine outside of the walls. It's not ended, but um, the people inside the walls are all members of the Eldian race, which is a very on the nose, very ham fisted metaphor for the Jewish race. Because outside of the walls, the Eldians are all kept in concentration camps and stuff, and they're forced to wear armbands with stars on it <coughs> that show that they are members of the. Are Eldian they six race. point stars? No, they're nine point stars because. Oh, okay. um, because copyright of, laws. No, because of the not because I told you know there are the intelligent titans people mm-hmm. who can transform back. There can only ever be nine at a time, so they, there are nine points for the nine intelligent titans, okay. the nine titan abilities. And um, that so sounds like a Borderlands reference a little bit. Okay, 
sirens, there can only be seven sirens oh. like, in existence. Well, that's a that's a big thing in a lot of stuff, is there can only be so many of something. What's funny is you can tell that the author didn't think it through, because each of the nine titans are supposed to have a special ability. They don't. So, well, so what you got is you got the Colossal Titan, which is 150 feet tall. It's bigger than the others. The Armor Titan, which its skin is made out of armor. The Female Titan, which is a female Titan. <laughs> the Attack Titan, which can... Attacks? Well, that was that was, it, that was the original idea. It's, that, it's name in Japanese is, is Advancing. They called it the Attack Titan in English because they needed to make it sound like the name of the series. Because in Japanese, the name of the series is Shingeki no Kyojin, which means Advancing Giants. Um, and they translate it as Attack on Titan. Then it was revealed that Eren's Titan is called the Shingeki no Kyojin, which would be the Advancing Giant. But they were like, frick, we mistranslated the title, so now we just got to call it Attack Titan. And be like, it's kind of like the title, because no one thought any of this through, even on the translation side. But, obviously, shows you it's a bad series. Yeah. But, all that aside, so, originally, when the Attack Titan's name is revealed, they say it's called the Attack, in J Japanese, Advancing Titan, because it always advances towards freedom, whatever that means. It's eventually revealed... Advances towards freedom, yeah. you know, China. <laughs> eventually, it's revealed that it also has an ability to see the future, but it can only see the future under very under very certain circumstances. And the reason for that is because Aaron had never displayed the ability to see the future for like 90 chapters. Then all of a sudden, there's the twist that you can see the future. And so the author had to make up a reason for why it had never happened before. So it was like, well, it can only happen at this in this very specific circumstance that only happened once in the entire series. He can see the future. It's like, okay... <laughs> But, so, going on... You can hear my disdain for this. Yeah, I know. So, you got the big titan, the armored titan, the female titan... The female? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The attack titan, the jaw titan, which has powerful jaws. That, I think I know what that one is. That means a lot when they're all man-eating giants. You got powerful jaws, don't we all? But you still got, you got the jaw titan, the founding titan, which can, which can create titans... And and control Eldians. It can control your mind if you're a member of the Eldian race. Okay. So the founding titan. So, so brainwashing. Yeah, essentially. Uh, the beast titan, which looks like an animal. Okay. The beast titan that appears in the series can also create titans, but that's only because the person using it has royal blood. That's an entirely different thing. That's not an ability it normally has. But that's an entirely different thing. So... Uh, the cart. So can we, when can we get back to talk about? Hold Jojo on, hold Lions? on, hold on, hold on. The cart titan, which crawls on all fours. The cart. Yeah, cart titan. Which like I'm gonna put this in my shopping cart. Titan. Yeah, which moves around on all fours. And wow. Oh, and no, this is where you know that he ran out of ideas. So the nine titans, they've all got special abilities, right? And then you get to number nine. Colossal titan, uh, armored titan, female titan, attack titan, jaw titan. Founding Titan, Beast Titan, Cart Titan. The ninth Titan is named the Warhammer Titan. <laughs> because it has the ability to create weapons. And for some reason it always uses a Warhammer. Even though it can create more weapons. That's the one where you know he d he came up... Th the one that I feel is the one where he was like... I've ran out of ideas. Is the female one. <laughs> well that's... That's also true, but that's funny. Or that, the cart titan. 
Well, that it's funny that you say that because I agree, but the female Titan was one of the first ones introduced, which okay. is so funny. The female Titan was introduced before the idea of the nine Titans even existed. Oh, okay. So that's what's funny about But you get the idea. Yeah. He made up the nine Titan rule, and then what, by the time he got to the Warhammer Titan, which is the last one he introduced, it was obvious, like, Warhammer Titan? I mean, it makes sense, somewhat. Like, none of them have been able to do that ability. None of them were super... Great, except for like the colossal one. Well, the problem and I, the royal. Yeah, one. the problem I have for that one is because they call it the Warhammer Titan because it uses a warhammer. When it can create any weapon it wants, it's shown using a crossbow at one point. So the the name just doesn't make sense to me based on the naming scheme of the others. Like the founding titan is called the founding titan because you it would was, call it like the weapon titan or something. the creating titan or something or like the, that because uh, it creates weapons. The Utility Titan. Something like that, yeah, because yeah. you got the Beast Titan because it looks like an animal. The Founding Titan because it was the first intelligent Titan to be to come into existence. Sure. They're all tied to something intrinsic to the, the Titan. The Colossal Titan because he's freaking ginormous. Yeah, and then you got the... By the way, Colossal Titan is the cover art Titan that everyone sees. Yeah, it's the one that looks like a skeleton. Uh, without the... Like, he, he looks kind of like a skeleton got with the mus- muscles yeah, on Yeah, it's it. got the muscles. It looks like the cover of every biology book. Yeah, exactly. In every high school ever. Just lots of teeth and muscle tissue. Yeah. But so, going back to Kenny. And oddly enough, a disproportionate head to its body. Yeah. That's the biggest issue I have with the entire colossal Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, Hajime Isayama, the writer of the series, he's not known for his uh, artwork. So, Proven. I... Yeah, I I genuinely don't know if he did that on purpose to make it look weird, or if that was just that's just him his art sort of his art skills sort of falling through. I would say the latter. Sure, he got he got better as the series went on. But so what you're seeing is this: like he he started out and it sucked, but he had to keep it. Well, he's actually said. Um, I think he actually said in an interview near the end of the series that when he first started out, he was, he was, ju- he was just trying to like make us. He was really concerned with making ends meet, and so he. I think he's actually said that he knows his art is not good in the early chapters. It was partly because he wasn't putting huge effort into it. He was just trying to meet deadlines and make enough money to survive until the series took off, and then he was able to like actually focus on improving his art and making it look better, which. Attack on Titan is one of the only manga series that you I would point to where you're like, you can see the art is not very good at all in the beginning, and it looks pretty dang good at the end. Like, the art is, like, the only good thing about the series by the time you get to the end. I thought you said that's the only thing, the one thing you only like was Kenny. Now you're like, oh, the art's good. You liar. I said Kenny was one of the few things I liked. I thought, oh, um, whatever. Yeah. So, back to Kenny. Ding. <laughs> so, um... So, it's revealed that the the apocalypse didn't happen. The world still exists outside of the walls. And the people living inside the walls are actually Eldians who went to an island to escape the persecution they were facing. And when they got to that island, the founding titan who led them there erased all their memories of the outside world. And basically told them they were living in an apocalypse just so that they would like stop stressing about it or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure. And basically create this little fantasy world for them to live in where they weren't being persecuted by literally everyone. And so, the problem was... Question. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be a cut, possibly, right here. Um, 
can we move to the couch because this chair sucks uh uh well i guess we're gonna still need to use that as a reference when we get back to it well i could just pull it up on my phone and you could pull it up on your phone too uh i'll i'll just switch seats with you no no it's bad it's like a it's like sitting on a uh Freaking piece of wood. I've I've sat on that chair before. It'll be fine. Um, I'll just bring this over. Yeah, it's might as well. But this isn't gonna be bad. I thought you I thought you were talking about your back or something. It it is kind of with that too. But so, um, but so the problem was Eldians weren't the only ones who came to the island. There were also some non-Eldians that came to the. There's also some non-Eldians that came to the island. So, as long as you don't get carpet. So the um, well, it was an island. Yeah, they were, they were on an island. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. So there are also some non-Eldians that came to the island. So because his memory erasing ability doesn't work on non-Eldians, the king struck a deal with a lot of them to basically make them members of his government. So make them privileged, give them privileged citizen status as part of his government. And Kenny's family, if I remember correctly, didn't take that um, offer because they thought it was wrong or something like that to tamper with people's memories or something like that. And so what ensued was roughly 100 years of Kenny's family getting persecuted by the government and hunted down to try and exterminate them. Which is why Kenny, after growing up, became a serial killer and was killing police officers basically to get revenge for his family's persecution. And so... There's a flashback chapter, which is one of my favorite chapters in the whole series. The author actually agrees. I think the author said he thinks it's the second best chapter and he's right. Which is funny, because he said that while he was writing the ending that everyone hated. So I was very conflicted because I was like, you know that, ch- that that chapter is your best one. So why are you writing this crap right now? <laughs> you know what it's good writing garbage. is. But so the chapter starts with Kenny trying to assassinate the king because he's found out who the king is because the king never goes outside or anything like that, the current king of the of the island. And the king uses his titan ability to stop Kenny, but he just chooses not to kill him. He chooses to spare him, and he actually apologizes to Kenny and begs his forgiveness for the wrongs that, his, that their ancestors have done to Kenny's family. Mm-hmm. And Kenny is so taken aback by that that he... That he, like, accepts his apology. And then the king offers Kenny a place on his royal advisory board permanently. And over the next, like, decade that they're working together, they become best friends. And there is a great um, monologue that Kenny goes through in the present day, right before he dies. Where it's revealed that the king, that king is no longer alive. The power of the founding time has been passed on to one of his descendants. And Kenny has been planning to take that ability for himself. He wants to try and turn himself into a titan and then eat the founding titan so he can get that ability. Because the founding, each founding titan inherits the memories of the previous one. And so Kenny was hoping that... He has a monologue. I pull it up, but I don't want to take the time to... Where he essentially says, says something to the effect of godlike power... Everyone who gets their hands on it seems to turn compassionate, referring to his friend. He says, and I've, all, and I've always wondered uh, if even a piece of, forget my language, if even a piece of shit like me would have that same change if I had that power. And so it reveals that Kenny's entire motivation 
for power, for was wanting power. just to be able to change. And because... And experience, like, some sort of compassion. Yeah, because he didn't... Because he basically, what it revealed was he doesn't really... The reason he's a serial killer, the reason he's capable of doing that, is he doesn't feel compassion for other people. But he feels compassion for Uri, which is actually a, another... A, uh, that's another quality of sociopaths. Most sociopaths, even though they don't generally feel empathy, there actually is a common factor of they'll usually usually be one or a handful of people in their lives that they do feel it towards. Ed Gain, for example, who skinned all those women after he killed them, mm-hmm. he loved I think his, it was towards his mother. Yes, yeah, so it was his mother. He loved his mother. When his mother died, people who went to the funeral said it was actually uncomfortable. It was disconcerting to see Ed Gain there because he was like in his thirties, but he was rea- but he was crying. Like bawling the same way that a five year old would, like they like it wasn't even a matter of grief. It was like he was he was expressing his grief in a very immature way that made them feel uncomfortable. But that is an example of Ed Gein is an, an example of he did not feel empathy to anyone else. There is actually reason to believe that he may have killed his own brother. There is yes. reason to believe that he may have killed his own brother, but he loved his mother unconditionally even though i think his mother abused him yes so there is that that is a common thing among sociopaths that they're always there's usually an exception to that rule of they don't feel empathy for people and it was the same with kenny which is why i think that he is a sociopath in that in attack on titan even though it's never spelled out which is he felt deep love for uri and deep respect for uri that was the name of the king and he wanted to have all he wanted to become all powerful because he believed that if he was all powerful he would become compassionate like Uri was and i that is the stuff i find fascinating when writing a character when you have you basically set up this character who says like i recognize that there is something broken about me where i can't feel compassion or empathy for other people but because of people who have shown compassion and empathy to me who i value people I value, that makes me want to find a way to change myself so that I can feel that and be better. Yeah. That is the kind of stuff that fascinates me, which is why I... And the, the potential for that kind of character stuff is why this chapter made me very... Even more back, excited back now to, for the, where Jodio might go in this series. Yeah. Ow, ow. Uh, so, I... If... We get past the the drug scene, and then it immediately we are taken to um, now the four are yeah. back together again. The heist is beginning to take place. Yes, we we uh, we have now gotten a name for Pink Guy. Yeah, uh, his name is Usagi. Usagi Alohawe. Yes, which I think it's funny that his last name is Alohawe. Because that is the... I, I sound, it sounds familiar. I just don't remember where. Really? Yeah. That's the song that the little girl was singing and in Train to Busan. Oh, yeah. The one that you literally said wasn't a real word. Yeah, yeah. And I looked it up because of course I did. Because this name is a song reference. Aloha Way is... It's a, actually a real word. Well, I already knew that. In I Polynesian. Just, no, it is a Hawaiian folk song. That was actually written by King, not King, Queen Lily Okalani, who is like the most famous queen of Hawaii. If you've... Hawaii? Yeah, if you, uh, if you ever visit Hawaii, if you go on any sort of tour guide, sort of like guided tour, which is what I did when I went to Hawaii with my family back when I uh, graduated high school, 
They, oh, wow, you got to go to Hawaii? Yeah, there is... I went to Florida. <laughs> the, guarantee, 100%, if you go on a guided tour anywhere in Hawaii, they're going to mention Lileo Kalani multiple times. Because I think she was the queen of Hawaii when it was settled by Americans. And American settlers showed up in all of the different... If I remember correctly, <laughs> if I remember correctly, Native Hawaiians were basically tra- treated the same by American settlers as Native Americans. Yeah. So she was the queen at that time, and so she's one of she's probably their most beloved queen. I think most Native Hawaiians feel the most love for Lily Okalani out of all of their former monarchs. And she wrote the song Alohawe, which was sung in Train to Busan. Luke didn't think it was a real word. And it was also covered by Elvis Presley on his Blue Hawaii album, which I which I would guess is how... Didn't even o- know uh, that was an album. Yeah, Blue Hawaii. Which I would guess that that is how Araki knows the song, and I would guess that that is why he's referencing it. Most likely. Because this is not only the first Elvis reference in JoJo, it is not the first Blue Hawaii reference either. True. So Araki seems to have gotten pretty obsessed with Elvis... Last arc, part eight, had, like, I think three, two or three Elvis references, and now we've got another one out the gate. So it seems like he's going through an Elvis phase. Yeah. And so, uh, I really don't feel like there's much more to talk about in this, but we do get, like, um, like, we see them, they're doing the interactions or whatever. Yeah. Something I did find interesting is, um, Usagi, the new guy. I think we might just keep... I'm gonna have a take Usag. When I'm gonna have a temptation to keep calling him Pink Guy because I feel like anyone who listens, who oh, li- wait, wait, you're right. Now I see it, <laughs> Filthy Frank. We we I said this exact thing last chapter. I don't remember it. Yeah, but so I'm gonna feel the temptation to keep calling him Pink Guy because I feel like that'll be easier for listeners A-Bus. to remember than uh, you also made that joke last time. Yeah, I know. Um. Because I feel like that'll be e- nice. easier for Eagle. listeners, easier for listeners to remember than a name like Usagi or Aloha Way. Yeah. So I'm probably going to keep calling him Pink Guy, but I'm probably going to alternate between them. But so we've got our heist going on for anyone who doesn't remember it, and it consists of Jodio, his older brother Dragona, uh, Paco. Yeah, their friend Paco Labrantes and, and Pink Guy. Pink Guy Usagi Aloha Way, which we're just going to call him Pink Guy. From these get. Which, I think I also realized this chapter, the, these names are a mouthful. Jodio Joestar, Dragona Joestar, Paco Labrantes, and Usagi Alohawe. Yes. <laughs> and their stands are also very interesting. I'm very oh, intrigued. Also, we, we can discuss um, Usagi's stand. Yeah, we can. I, I was actually going to get to that in a minute. Let me, re, let me relook at these. Make sure, see if there's. Oh, what I was gonna say is, I I did take note. Pink guy is very outgoing. He's like very obnoxious. Yeah. And I remember. Oh, it was Paco right here. Says the guy's definitely an addict. He's completely wired up. I don't know if that's Paco being unfair to him, but I think it, it is interesting to consider the idea that they may be working with like a severe drug addict on this run. Yeah. And how that may affect their. Uh, Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> I I find Jesse Pinkman way more lovable than 
pink no, guy. No, what I'm saying is like it wasn't Jesse doing his own stuff, like doing his own. Oh yeah, but what what I'm saying is um, I've never watched Filthy Frank, but the clips I've seen, pink Usagi in this he, he he's he he gives okay. me very strong Filthy Frank vibes. He, he is. Don't worry. Um, and he is the pink guy. Yeah, Daisuke. And so um, it's a very interesting setup, and I. Really, what I wanted to call to mind by pointing that out was, um, I'm very... Oh, I now just noticed to We're in a Corvette. It's a Chevy, I know that. Chevy Corvette. Is it a no, Corvette? That, no, uh, It could be a that's Camaro. A Camaro. That's it could a Camaro. be a Camaro. That's the Camaro. Okay. And get the Corvette and, the Cam- uh, and get the two names mixed up. Um, but I, I find it very interesting, the idea that... You could read this one of two ways. The the guy's definitely an addict. He's completely wired up. You could read that as them just finding him annoying. Or you could read that as he actually is literally drugged up. And having a druggie, like a high druggie on your um, heist, could only, go so, could only go wrong in a million different he, ways. He also may just be super hyper and ADD. Well, that's what I'm saying. There are two ways to read that. But I, I, find, it in, I find the idea that he could possibly be... High even now while they're pulling a heist, but it does say that they think uh, that Merle uh, Merrill Day Merrill thinks that he's a good kid. That is true. I I don't know if I trust Merrill May though. I don't, I don't know if I trust that she's not throwing them under the bus for some reason by doing this. Who knows? At yeah. this point. But so we've got that all set up. We got a little. Oh, and there was also another thing which I found interesting oh, is they <laughs> they rent a car and usagi's the one who rents it for them and he says that if they all pay thirty dollars it it'll cover the cost and when they get the car after as they're driving away dragona hears uh someone at the dealership advertising it saying that car rentals are ninety dollars the implication being that usagi did not actually chip in he made the the three of them pay and he didn't yep so that's interesting Basically, a bunch of reasons I would say not to trust this dude at all. Like yeah. I would not trust him, and I'd be very upset that he did not chip in for the uh, for the car. And so we're gonna go down a little. As we go down, so we see that he gets like the, they're they're just like waiting on the guy at this point. They're like, okay, we just need to get the. Oh yeah, the guy to oh, leave or whatever. I forgot the a, a ticking clock aspect of this is they've uh, they established at the airport. Apparently, Dragona. I think it was Dragona. I think Dragona said that sh- he, she, whatever he, yeah, he wants them to do the job because they they flew to a different island. They are not on the same yeah, island. Yeah, they're on Oahu now. Yeah, they're on Oahu now. I don't know what island they were on before. Uh, Kona. Okay, but they are. Not, but they did have to fly to a different island, and Dragona made it clear that he doesn't want them to be on that island overnight. They want yes. this. They want to have this diamond. Uh, it's actually a little bit further down, I think. No, it was at the airport when Dragona was talking about that. Oh, right before they got in the car. Yeah. Um, so they do have the ticking clock aspect of it because I think Meryl May said that the Japanese dude's going to be on the island for fifteen days. But Dragona doesn't want to be on this island for eat for more than a single day, so they've got to pull this off before the last flight out of Oahu leaves. Mm-hmm. So they've given themselves a very strict time limit, and it looks like they want to pull off the job itself 
we are at the part now where they're outside the villa. Yeah. Uh, Paco and Dragona are wanting to try and pull off the entire diamond heist in fifth in around fifteen ish minutes. So and it's just getting into a dude's house, finding it, locating the diamond, taking the diamond, and then going, getting out of there. Yeah. And so they go, f- and so they start going in there, and, and they, they find out that the place is wired up with cameras. Yeah, and so then Paco uses his ability. No, he doesn't. Not pa- my my bad. Usagi, yeah, aka Usagi. Pink Man. Usagi uses his ability. Which is, this is another thing. So, Usagi's ability is a, Usagi's stand is about the size of a toy, I would say. It's small enough that he can hold it in his in the palm of his hand. It's yeah, a very and small mind stand. Mind you, for reference, he's uh, 17 years old. So, yeah. he, he's close to fully developed. Yeah. But let's, it, his stand is about the size of a Funko Pop, I would say. Yeah, I'd say that. Which is interesting because right now what we've got in terms of stand abilities is you got Jodeo's stand, November Rain, which, which is freaking huge. It's huge, but it's designed like a granddaddy long leg spider. Yeah. It looks like, like a big for, sort of spider. It's just thing. like uh, something you'd see at a water park a little bit. It's just like dripping rain down or something. Yeah, it's like got, that. so it's got a sort of big, it's got a head and an upper body that are like a normal human. But then it's got, it doesn't have a... Anything, it's, like, it's basically, bo- it's it body, doesn't have anything from, like, the stomach down. Yeah, its body ends at its waist, and then it's got four giant legs coming out of it, basically, like, tent poles, almost, holding it up in the air. Ba- and basically what I'm getting at is anyone who's watched JoJo um, will know, will be familiar with Stan. Most main characters in JoJo have stands like Star Platinum. Crazy diamonds, stone free, gold experience, which are humanoid it's stands. Stone ocean. <laughs> yeah, um, which are humanoid stands. Like they got just what, crazy diamond. Yeah. Okay. Cra- I, I didn't know that was the name of uh, um, Josuke's. That's part four, Josuke's. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So you got um, Pink Floyd reference. So you've got. Um, Star Platinum, Crazy Diamond, Gold Experience, Stone Free. If you move to the new universe, you've got Johnny's Stand, uh, Tusk, which starts out not as a humanoid stand, but by the time it gets to the end of its development, it is a humanoid stand. Which um, then it, we have... And then Part 8, Josuke's uh, Soft and Wet, again humanoid. They are not all exactly the same. Jotaro's Stand, Star Platinum, is humanoid, but it's got super strength. Well, let's be honest here. None of those are as cool as Weather Report. None of them are as broken as Weather Report. Exactly. Um, but so Jotaro's has super strength. So does Josuke's. Jorno's doesn't. Like, Jorno's and Josuke's part eights. Yeah. They are strong, but the scale I've seen used is like Josuke from part eight. His stand is very strong. It can beat up a human, but it can't. It can break through walls of a building, but it can't break through stone, would be an example. Whereas Jotaro's stand can pulverize. Li- there actually is a fight in part three where Jotaro's stand literally pulverizes diamonds with its punches. Yes. <laughs> so, there is a scale. Jotaro's stand is literally the most OP tank when it yeah. comes to, like, being a bruiser or anything of that nature in any sort of game or show. Yeah. What I'm getting at is all of the JoJo stands, with the exception of Johnny's, because Johnny's was not humanoid for most of the series... John, Johnny's eventually evolved into a humanoid one that could fight normally. Sure. Um, every other JoJo stand has been humanoid and could fight uh, 
fist to fist, for lack of a better term. Now we have Jodios, and it's not at yeah. all. Jodios. Like, does it even have arms? No, it's just got the four big legs. Yeah. So, okay. what? And so you got Jodios, which is much more similar to a stand you would see like a villain have or something like that. Yeah. Um, which which isn't to say, which isn't to say that like. I think that Arky's doing something where he's trying to make Jodeo seem villainous. What I mean is, Jodeo's stand is not the type of stand you would give to a main character in JoJo. Because it's very limited in what it can do. Like, the the thing about Star Platinum and Crazy Diamond and all of them is since they're humanoid, there's a lot of stuff they're able to do. Because they're, like, humanoid and they can... And, they, and, you, and what he may do again is he may add development. He may do... He You're right, he might. Um... Which is what he did with Johnny's. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because you look at the other stands and you've got Jorgona's stand. Uh, I don't even remember the name of it. Um, i got to look it up now. Uh, Paco's stand is called The Hustle. And Paco's stand, while I'm looking up Dragona's, is what I would call an integrated stand. His stand is literally his body. Yes. His stand allows his muscles to contort themselves and grip things. So, like, Paco could literally grip... So, like, pa- Paco could literally grab something with the back of his bicep if he wanted to. Because his stand just allows him... I'll, I'll do it. His stand just allows him to manipulate his, the muscles on his body in weird ways. Which is this, which is similar to, like, Oingo from Part 3, where his yeah. stand allowed him to change his face's appearance to match anyone else's. Smooth Operators is Dragona's. Dragona's stand is, like, almost... Not microscopic, but it's even smaller than it's even smaller than Usagi's. I would say Dragona stand is maybe the size of like a Lego figure or something like that. Super small. Yeah. And Dragona stand just allows Dragona to rearrange things physically. So like Dragona could use a stand, he could touch a license plate, and his stand mm-hmm. will change the license plate number to disguise a car. Or Dragona could in a fight, Dragona could touch your face and just drag your eyes to the other side yeah. of your head so that you can't see in front of you anymore. So, so Dragona's is useful, but it's not really useful in a fight because it's not going to be easy to get close to someone in a fight to drag their eyes around their head or something like that. You've got the hustle. Question. Which, yeah. Is that cockyoing up there? That is. Oh, it's cock. There's Iggy. Yeah, there's Iggy. There's Iggy and... Polnareff. <laughs> and Polnareff. And Polnareff. And, uh, Abdul. <laughs> and you just forget Abdul's there. But, but I, I now see, like, on the wiki, like, there's bubbles in the background and you see the various characters from... Yeah. And so, um, and so then you got Paco's stand, which is an integrated... So this is season two. I mean, arc two. Yeah. Where is my boy... Caesar? No, Stroheim. Oh, where's my boy Stroheim at? I'm not. Sh- I don't think he's there. <laughs> I am upset. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry, your Nazi brother wasn't there. He's not my Nazi brother. He is my Nazi. <laughs> he's your Nazi brother in arms. <laughs> no, he's just my Nazi. <laughs> and so, then you got Paco Stain, which isn't even good in a fight because it just lets him steal stuff. That's about it. Yeah. And now they've introduced Usagi's stand, which is the size of a, basically the size of a, um... Really? None of them? Why am I, what is the name of this? Funko Pop. Yes. 
Uh, it's about the size of a Funko Pop, and all it does is it is able to mimic the it is able to mimic the appearance of anything that basically Usagi wants it to. To put it simply. So none of them are fighting base stands. They are all incredibly limited. Jodio's is the only one. Yeah. Jodio's is the only one that is actually somewhat usable in a fight. But it's not that usable. No. Because it can't really fight on its own for him. You... Jodio would basically have to get his enemy into a position where he could drop rain on them. And that's another thing that I find interesting. Because... If you look at the um, stands of previous arcs, if you look at part three, you've got Jodoro stand, Star Platinum, literal, literal super strong, like, barbarian. And also precise. Yeah. Super, so Jodoro stand, Star Platinum is like a seven foot tall barbarian with super strength, super speed, super eyesight. And at the end of part three, it develops the ability to stop time. Yes. So... Um, Josuke stand is another like seven foot tall barbarian with super strength and super speed and has the ability to heal people's wounds if Josuke wants to or to repair broken objects. Jorno stand is a smaller is a is small still humanoid smaller not as strong but it's got strength speed and the ability to turn inanimate objects into living creatures. Jolene stand uh, big Decently strong, decently fast. I, I would say Jolene's is probably like 5'9"-ish in yeah. size. Like, kind of slender physique, but is very quick. Yeah, decently sized. And very ranged. Yeah, uh, decently sized, pretty strong, pretty fast, and it's got the string abilities. Yes. It can turn itself into string. It can turn Jolene's body into string, which is way more useful than it sounds. Oh my gosh, you... She could take a punch to the stomach and then not get hit. Yeah, she at the can, same time because she can just unravel her body around yeah. the punch. You got Johnny's stand, which at fully upgraded is has super strength, super speed, and another ability which I'm not going to get into because you're reading part because seven. I'm reading part seven, yes. And you got Josuke's stand, which has strength, speed—not super strength, but it is strong—strength, speed, and the ability to create bubbles that steal stuff from people. So if Josuke creates a bubble and it pops on you, he has, he can like turn you blind temporarily or oh. turn you deaf. Steal your vision, steal your yeah. hearing. Not permanently, but he can steal it temporarily for the sake of a fight. So all of them very well rounded in terms of fighting. Jodio's not at all, and in fact, no one's stands are well rounded. Because if you go again, if you go back to part three, if you look at the main at the supporting cast, you've got Kakyoin. With a stand that has the ability to go into people's bodies and control them. Or do Emerald Splash, which is basically a gun. It's basically uh, Emerald Shards that he shoots out. Yeah, basically like bullets. Or Silver Polnareff's Silver Chariot, which has, is not strong, but it's faster than light. And it has a super sharp sword that it can skewer you with. Or Abdal's Magician's Red, which is a giant phoenix that can burn you to death. What, what's... Iggy's again? Iggy's is the fool, which is a stand that is that can sh- that is made out of sand and can shapeshift into anything. Oh yes. And if you go to part I'm gonna skip to part six because you know part six. You go to part six, you've got uh KISS, which is a humanoid stand with super strength, super By the speed. Way, I noticed this recently. 
That's the main villain of part five. Isn't that person also in part six? No, that's not that's not Anna Sweet. They look the same. They look real close. They look the same, but that's not Anna Sweet. That is that dude's name is Diavolo. Oh, okay. Um but distant relative. <laughs> but so <laughs> so you've got KISS, super strength, super speed, and the ability to create duplicates of anything at once by putting a, a sticker on them. That was smart. No, yeah, you're that's right. The tran- that's the translated. The translated, name. yes. Um, or weather report, which is a stand that literally controls the weather. <laughs> so it controls the weather, but there was also a documented case where, like, at one point, it did rain frost. Yeah. So l- let me let me explain this more accurately and more funny. So, Arky introduced a stand called Weather Report, which can control the weather. And while doing research for part six, Arky learned of a phenomenon in the er- in the late 1800s when there was a tornado that happened in America that caused frogs to rain in Florida because they'd gotten caught up in the tornado and were just dropped in Florida. And so Arky's, Arky's um, ketamine-addled mind, <laughs> Arky's wonderful mind decided that since this happened since frogs rain from the sky once technically twice but i don't know if arky's ever read the bible but since frogs rained from the sky at least once that gave him, that gives him free license to have weather report rain frogs from the sky well, whenever you, he you, wants you realize he can also use fish if he wanted to he could because it Almost every tornado, you'll have fish. If dude, if Arky ever sees Sharknado, it's it's all. Uh, if over. he sees Sharknado, we're screwed. It's all over. <laughs> and so, the point I'm getting at: every arc previous to this. Wait, what if he did see Sharknado and was like, "That's too far"? <laughs> like, imagine Arky going like, "All this is like excusable, but that." That atrocity? No. D- Dio would not approve. <laughs> Dio would be like, what? <laughs> I don't even know how to deal with that. Dude, the, that that needs to be a react channel. Like, someone pretends to be Dio. Like, the, so like the, after, no, after he first comes out of his coffin in the bottom of the ocean, the first movie he sees is Sharknado. <laughs> and it makes him hate humans even more. Oh my. <laughs> I really do hate these humans. Do you recall every loaf of bread you've ever eaten in your life? If not, how can you possibly expect me to? You. You idiots made. made Sharknado! You're worse than bread! You're worth less than bread! Worthless humans! I think in part one, when Dio turned himself into a vampire, his exact words were, I reject my humanity, Jojo. He said that after watching Sharknado. <laughs> I reject my humanity, Jojo! <laughs> he, he did that in the 1800s after watching Sharknado. <laughs> yeah. No, wait, wait, wait. As he, like, became a vampire, he could see distantly into the future, and he saw Sharknado. He was like, what? <laughs> and at that point, he comes back to reality and goes, I reject my humanity. And accepts, <laughs> accepts the vampire trait. Yeah. Instead of dying. 
So what I'm getting at, bringing up all those past stands, is every every single part up until now, either the main JoJo has had a really good fighting stand, or the supporting cast have had really good fighting stands to make up for sure. the main character. This is the first arc where the main character and all of his allies have stands... They're just that, utility. ...that would be basically worthless in a fight. And I'm very intrigued. They're, they're basically just utility things. Yeah. And this is the first... Uh, I think I talked about this a little bit last episode. This is the first arc where I feel like Araki has really... branched out, but not in the way I wanted him to with his song references. Because the main cast, their song references are... Um, are uh, Guns N' Roses song. Is that? November Rain. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. I was thinking, Eagle, you clicked on Smooth Operators. No, I was, I was, like, no, uh, I was looking up uh, the who did the Smooth Operators one. Uh, a Guns N' Roses song, a Sade song, um, The Hustle. That's the one I'm actually trying to look up. Remember who did that? Uh, the Hustle, a Van McCoy song, which I don't I do think... the Hustle. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows who Van McCoy is. They know the Hustle, but they don't know anything else from him. And yeah. now Usagi's stand is added to the mix, which is named Mate Kusadai, which sounds Japanese. It might be, but it's not a Japanese reference. It's a reference... Look it up and see if it, they've updated the wiki. I already did. I know what it's a reference to. I don't know. So tell me. Uh, the Mate Kudasai is a reference to a King Crimson song. Oh, King Crimson. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. I can't remember which band that one is. They're a prog rock band. They did Epitaph. Uh. In the Court of the Crimson King. Okay, I know those. I'm trying to ma- mainly find their singles. Singles, um, just control F it. What? I was scrolling when you did that. Oh, I didn't know that that's how that worked. Yeah, Epitaph is the one I know from them. Dinosaur is the one I know by them. Oh, you, okay. So actually, you said ooh to King Crimson. Um, go back. Well, I'll do it. It's actually ironic that you pointed out this guy, Diavolo, over here. Sure. Because Diavolo's stand in Part 5 is King Crimson. Oh. And one of his stand's abilities is called Epitaph. So this is not actually... That's the only reason why you like that song. Well, it's the only reason I know of that song. I actually do just like it. I listened to it and I was like... I was like, huh, I could get behind prog rock if this is what it is. Prog rock. So if you you like Polyphia, you'd like prog rock. Yeah. Um, Well, I like certain kinds of prog rock. Are you not a Rush fan? Um, Oh, crap. Uh, Rush, hold on. 2112. No. Here we go. Vertigo. Video vertigo. Echo. Test for echo. That's okay. I was trying to go through the lyrics until I got it. Test for... I know Test for Echo. That's the only Rush song I know. 2112. You should listen to that entire album. Okay. And I know Test for Echo because my high school teacher, who's publishing that poetry book I told you about, Mm -hmm. 
the the way that he taught us figurative language in his class was he would make us listen to his favorite bands and test for echo was one of the songs he made us listen to for homework interesting yeah he also made us listen to um uh oh gosh what was it was peter gabriel i think um sledgehammer okay sled i wanna be your sledgehammer i don't know that song i may have been singing it wrong but i I don't know peter gabriel is it peter gabriel let me check sledgehammer yeah it's peter gabriel I don't know Peter Gabriel. Yeah, that that teacher of mine, he he was a really interesting dude. He was the captain. He was the coach of our wrestling team, but he uh, his favorite. He was the coach of our wrestling team. He was very open about being a Christian and talked about it all the time, even though it was a public school. Which I, the older I get, and the more, and the the more you appreciate that man. Well, the more the older I get, and the more because I wasn't serious about Christianity in high school. The more the more that I pursue Jesus, the older I get, the more I respect him for that. But he also, in addition to all that, in addition to being wrestling guy, he was super into sports. He loved Shakespeare, insisted on teaching us Shakespeare while we were in his class. He loved King Arthur. He had us read The Once and Future King for summer reading to prepare for his class. Loved figurative language, loved poetry. One of his assignments to us at the beginning of the class was we had to write a poem to introduce ourselves. Weirdest combination of interests for a person to have, but he had all of them. Are you sure about that? Have you met me? Unfortunately. Exactly. (laughs) Guns, anime. That doesn't seem weird to me. K-pop. I mean... What? Metal. So, K-pop is weird no matter what you combine it with. Exactly. My point. But at the same time, I also like colors. But yeah, if you like K-pop, of course you like colors. No, I like knowing names of colors. Yeah, if you like K-pop, of course like, you... Like, my favorite color is Alizar and Crimson. Yeah, of course. Because it's the most Bob Rossi red that can be existed. <laughs> <laughs> to be exact, that is the exact red he would normally use. Wait, what is what is the name of that? Alazar in Crimson. Zar in... Is that spelled right? Yes. Alazar in Crimson. Of course there's no suggested. That's just red, you nerd. No, it's a... It, it also... It wasn't spelled right! You lied to me! I, I always... I always mix it up. Right he now. lied to me. He hates me. Spider-Man is my enemy. As you could tell the difference. Versus permanent Alizar and Crimson. I hate that I can tell the difference. <laughs> it makes me want to... It's di- red! Look at all those different reds! No! No! Look no, at them! Screw... No! Chocolate Cosmos is not red! That's brown! That is a brown, I'll be honest. And so is half of half of these are brown. This is white. No, it's misty rose. No, it's white. It's misty rose. You shut your mouth. <laughs> Candy apple red. I don't even know how to pronounce that one. Uh cockalot. Cock cockalicot. See, it's foreign enough, so if this were English, that Q and U together would be qua, but it looks foreign enough to where it could just be cocklicot. 
Sure. Coquelicot. See, but no, that's look. red. That's red. Yeah, but look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Purple. Brown. Uh, no, it's barn red. Brown. <laughs> beige. No, it's bittersweet. Beige. Beige. Bittersweet. Brown. No, that's pink. not beige. If anything, that's close to like an off purple, if anything. Beige. Brown. Pink. Purple. Red. What is that? Beige. No, that's peach. Beige. <laughs> peach. Sure, I'll go with it's peach. Cantaloupe melon. Peach. Hot pink. No, uh, no. Brown. Hot, that is, you cannot tell me that's hot pink. That's closer to hot pink than that. Pink. Hot pink. No. Pink. Hot pink. Pink. Hot pink. Hot pink is brighter and more vibrant than just pink. Brown. Dude, look! These are all the same! Bard red, carmine, dark red, fallow red, blood red. I can see a difference. No, you can't! Shut up! This one's brighter than this one. No, it's not! Yes, it is! No, it's not! This one's br- This one is brighter <laughs> than this you one. You just mixed them up! This one is brighter than this one, and this one is brighter than this one. You are full of crap. It's called the ability to use your eyes, No, it's fool. No, it's not. It's called being a Tomato. woman. Tomato. It's called... That is... <laughs> that is not... That is not tomato! You've made me very upset! Rose Ebony. That's just gray. That's just gray! I agree with you on that one. That one is just freaking gray. Rose Tape! That's just gray! It's That's taupe. Gray! <laughs> that word is pronounced not tape. It's taupe. Look at this! Rosy brown! That is neither rosy nor brown! It's like a tan. This, this entire color wheel, or whatever you call it, was made by people who were colorblind! Jasper, that's who did it. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> it's okay. You'll live. Okay. So tell me. Wait, wait, wait. List of colors. I love colors so much. Uh, tell me, tell me the weirdest shade of blue you know. I haven't heard any in a long time. I only know the reds. I haven't studied the blues yet. Just, just... Yeah, we did. Muddy Waters. Ha. Huh. Uh... Wait, wait, Oh, wait, go back here. Go back here. Uh, scroll up. Uh, list of colors. Uh, uh, colors by shade. Oh, my gosh. That's purple! You're correct. Indigo. Looking at the blues now, why did... No, I guarantee you there's... Byzantine a... blue, man! Look! Shades of violet! E wait, wait, wait. Prince would approve. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why is indigo under blue when it clearly should be violet? Because it's a mix between blue and purple. Japanese violet? That's racist. Fairy tale. <laughs> Blue violet. Oh, it's blue violet, so should it be under blue or violet? You tell me, Google. Majorelle blue, put it under blue! Don't call it blue if it's not blue! Red violet. <laughs> Medium 
Life Slate Blue! I probably hurt anyone who's listening to this. They, I probably really hurt <laughs> their, their ears. Their ears are really hurting. Uh, I would say, I, I don't remember any of these particular. The Celestial Blue I really like. This and this are the same. This and wait, this wait, wait. Are Let me look same. at them. Let me look at this them. This and this and this are the same. Give me a second. Yeah. This one's darker. This and this are the same. This this one is darker than that one. Uh, this and also this one is more matte than this one. <laughs> this and this and this and. Let's see. You are high. This and this and this. These are definitely the Carolina blue, blue gray, and blue are all air, air superiority, superiority blue. blue. Yeah, those are all the same. You're wrong. This one is more glossy. This one is more matte, and this one is bluer than this one. You want to know something I learned a long time ago in school? What? I learned. I can't remember where I learned this. I think it was in a biology class. What I learned. What the name is that? That um. And this is not a Thalio? Fallow. Can I finish? Sure. Uh, this is not a. This is actually not a joke, listeners. This is one hundred percent serious. I learned in a biology class. I think it was a biology class that um. Fem. A, a woman's eyes actually pick up color and distinctions between color better than male eyes and that's why m women are much more visually oriented toward like colors of clothes and stuff sure. like that because they pick up the distinctions in color better than men do i think it's got something to do with the rods and cones in our eyes i think theirs is a little yes. bit different than ours and so what i'm finding out luke is that i'm more of a man than you are because lots of these are the or, same or or maybe you're just less trained because I, I, I've, I've had to train this. I think mine makes more sense. I've had to train this. I've actually seen a thing where they were like, okay, we want you to look at this color, like this color spectrum. Mm -hmm. And we want you to be able to pick out and see how many different like color lines you see. So why didn't you just go with the Chad? They're the same picture. Because I'm not a Chad. I go against the stream. First, 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 uh, first step on the road to recovery is admitting it. What? I'm not a Chad. I'm okay with not being a Chad. Chads are tool benches half the time. You talk about Chads on this way more than I do. I'm I'm still very upset that you got me to answer what Transformer I think is the biggest Giga Chad. Why are you upset about that? It's actually a perfectly normal question. <laughs> Shades of black. Go back up. There's no such thing as shades of black. <laughs> You're racist. No, I'm actually being serious. There is no such thing. They're different. That's not black. That's not black. That's not black. You know how I know this? Because I know definitely. You, you, you say there's no such thing as different kinds of black, yet at the same time, you could tell the difference between normal black, matte black, glossy black, and venta black. Because not all of those are actually black. Because I know definitionally what black and white is. What is the definition of black then of the four I mentioned? So if I if I remember correctly, definitionally black is the absence of any color at all. And white is the presence of all colors. Okay. So like white 
The reason the Wikipedia page looks white is because it is white. No, because it's the way that it's the way that light waves work. Yes. Um, when you see color, what you're seeing is lot is what you're look the thing that I'm looking at. You're wearing a black hoodie right now. It looks black because your hoodie is reflecting bl- is. I'm not going to use black as an example. I'm going to use blue as an example because it'll be easier for me to explain. My my blue jeans are reflect are absorbing every light wave except for ones that register to my eyes and your eyes as blue, and it's bouncing those and back. So the to black ones, the black ones here would be uh, absorbing all of them. Yes, it absorbs all of them, and so we register that as black. And something that ref- that reflects back all of them registers to us as white i may be getting those backwards but that is what black and white is one of them is the absence of all color and one of them is the presence of all color and our brains read all of the all of the every version of color imaginable if we see it all at once it looks white so so i say there's no such thing as shades of black because black definite definitionally cannot have a shade technically wrong no. Yes. Technically right. Exposures of black. What does that mean? There are different shades of black. You, can have, were... you can have black, okay? Something is black, okay? Uh-huh. But it's not completely black. Well, then it wouldn't be definitionally black. It would be because something Because of not the color we're using, because of the uh, substance we're using to obtain the color. So a glossy black will still reflect, but it's still black. A matte black will not reflect. You can't see you can't see definition in a matte where you can see definition in a glossy. Show me pictures of them because I can't picture what you're saying. And it, even it. I don't know what you're going to show me, but even... even, matte black, you have not really a ton of definition. Yeah. And just to be clear, clear, even if I I end up having to concede on the black thing, I'm not going to concede on the white thing. Glossy. So it's reflectory. Yeah. Well, in that case, that's not a difference of color. That's a difference of, like... You want to see the ultimate black? It's this one. Those two are the same thing, just one's painted Venta black. I can actually see definition in it. I can see outlines. Very, very barely though. Yeah, and I and that's what like that wouldn't be because I'm picking up on color. That's because I'm picking up on like the depth of it. Exactly. Depth perception and stuff. That is how black that is. To paint a vehicle, Venta black is incredibly expensive. Hmm. Well, in that case, like, I don't know if I'm just not following, but in that case, those are all the same black. It's just they're made with different... Technically not. There are different... It's just there are different they, they factors. They different, going. I could tell you that. Well, yeah, everything costs different. That doesn't mean they're different. It means that it means that we, have, we live in a society that has things called price fixing. Uh, 150 milliliters is $15. How much? How much is 150 milliliters? 
Less than that. Interesting. Less than half of that. Cool. So uh, I'm holding a 12 ounce can and it is 355 milligrams. Or milliliters. Milliliter can. So it is literally like a third. About a third of that. Uh, I'd say more like 40%. It is very expensive. So I'm literally just not following this right now. You're not following it just because it's so hard to understand. You gotta train your eye, man. But if if I do end up for some reason having to bite the bullet on there being such there being such a thing as shades shades of black 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 shades of black, even though <laughs> definitionally, I I don't know if I will ever be able to concede definitionally that there can be shades of black based on what black is defined as. Yes, from an objective standpoint, like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're correct. But they are considered a shade of black even when they are matched with something else, just as indigo is considered in with blue. Yeah, that's incorrect. That's just objectively but it's the, incorrect. But it's a literal mix between two different colors. Right. And it's this solid color and this solid this color. This one's even more purple. No, it's electric. Yeah, but it's even more purple. Why are there purples so, under the... So what? This one's green! By technicality... Cambridge blue is this green! This one's more purple than this one because purple is a deeper color than blue. Cambridge blue is green. It's more of an olive <sighs> than anything. You know, you know what's funny, Luke? What? Olives aren't blue either. I said it's more of an olive. I know. It's more green. Olive. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's actually probably closer to yellow green. It's more or <laughs> celadon. Hooker's green. Well, shoot. <laughs> Dark moss green. Okay. Hold on, hold on, wait. Move. Uh, avocado. <laughs> I'm actually so Chinese violet. It's under magenta. Where are the violets? Go down. Japanese violet. Dude, I wonder if there's a violet for every country. French violet! Oh my, there might be. French, French mave. French move. Uh, oh, fuchsia! I really like fuchsia. Violet. I want to see, like, how... Russian violet! Oh gosh! <laughs> okay, Russian violet. Duh. Violet blue. It's not violet, but we got United Nations blue. That counts. <laughs> Uh, you wouldn't find it in this section. African violet, English violet, English violet, Chinese violet, red violet, uh, Japanese violet, French violet. Another? Ch- Why are there two Chinese violets? Because there's categorizing them underneath the same thing. So, like I said. Because it's part magenta and it's part violet, they took the two colors and put them underneath the, the two different classifications. You know what I call that? Bullcap. Fence sitting. Just like it. Whites. Just like. Wait, wait, wait. Shades of white. Yeah, that doesn't exist. Oh, so there's a difference between cream and just white? Yeah. Cream isn't white. Then what is cream? Cream. Cream? No, cream's yellow! 
Cream is yellow. How dare you ask me that question when hey, there's hey, such an hey, obvious hey, answer? Hey, 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 sir, sir, only Siths deal in absolutes. That is an absolute. That's what I'm saying. You just said an absolute, though. Okay. Only Siths deal in absolutes. That was an absolute statement. I, I agree, though. With that statement, though, only sits still in absolutes. Your un your unwillingness to see variety and only see the strict guidelines. You're doing the same. Clouded your vision. You're doing the same. You're doing the same thing. You're sitting here like oh, you're sitting here autistic like Henry. It's in the shades of white, so you've got to accept that it's white. I don't got to accept Wikipedia as a source on anything. Certainly not on what it means to be a shade of white. You can accept Bob Ross. <laughs> there you go. Prussian. Prussian blue. There's another one for you. You know what's so amazing though, Luke? I don't see cream on there. And I certainly don't see it under right the there. white category. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I certainly don't see it under the white category. But guess what? He doesn't need cream. He just needs these and then mixes these into whatever color he needs. Oh, wait. Are you saying that cream isn't white? It is a mixture of a bunch of different colors. Luke. Luke. Luke, I feel hey, hey, like you're hey, proving hey. my point. It's a shade of white. I feel like you're proving my point, forehead. Listen here, five head. <laughs> what I'm saying is every color is a shade of something. It doesn't mean it's absolutely this. Okay, cool. <laughs> Cut me, I dare you. <laughs> yeah, Bob Ross colors, man. They're great. Not for that price, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal, apparently. Yeah, save $45. Yeah, if you pay $99 for Bob Ross oil painting stuff right now, if you pay if you pay $100 for Bob Ross oil painting stuff, you will be saving almost $50. Yeah. But you're getting the brushes, you're getting uh, a scraper. You literally just said that wasn't worth it and now you're promoting it as if it is a good deal. Now that I think about it, it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Oh, and you get a DVD. Oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. No, it's I gotta buy it right now. No, it's not. Bob Ross is amazing. I used to have a Bob Ross Chia Pet. Okay. I, I have a Bob Ross pop figure, I can the, tell you that. The world used to have a Bob Ross. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> but what he does is he creates... All these different um, shades. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Crimson. Pretty nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Different colors. Different colors. I mean, they sure do look different. Huh! 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 But they're still both red! They're still both red! No, they're not. Are those both yellow? Uh, actually, so... Yes, yes. The answer is yes. They're both yellow. They're those, different shades of yellow. Those are both yellow. Yeah. Are those two green? Yes. Are those two blue? Yeah. Are they different shades of blue? Yeah. 
Ha! We are edumacating these eyeballs of yours. I've never argued that they're not different shades of colors. I have argued... I have argued, I think, three things are these both Are these both brown? I don't know if I'd want to call them brown. That one I would call brown. I don't know how I feel about dark sienna. I have argued three things, Luke. <laughs> Look, I have argued specifically. Three. Wait, wait, go back, go back. <laughs> Yellow ochre. <laughs> Luke, I have argued three things specifically. I've argued one, you can't actually have shades of black or white. That's just not a thing. Those are the first two things I've this argued. Heroes. I've argued four things actually. <laughs> I have argued you can't have shades of black. You can't have shades of white. I have argued that Wikipedia is not a reliable source for categorizing color shades. And I have argued that at least that on every single shade template they have, at least half of the shades that they are showing are just duplicates of another shade. Okay. I have not argued that you can't have shades of colors. If I if I did argue that at some point and I hear that when I when we listen back to this recording, it will just it will just be because I was in the in a heightened state of emotion incredibly 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 what's the word i'm looking for oh this kills me why do i keep blanking on words when i'm on when i'm on air incredibly distraught over the over the just quite frankly like amateur classification of colors that i was seeing on wikipedia oh it's okay what how'd that happen Oh, there it is. Okay. Just gotta reset it, bud. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, that cobalt turquoise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Go back down. Same, 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 same. Uh, so, you, you think these two are the same and these two are the same? Yeah. Uh, this one's darker and this one's darker. Same, same. Uh, darker. Oh, even though this one is wait wait deep, wait wait this wait, one Luke, is darker. Luke, I feel like I'm getting I feel like I'm getting mixed signals because you tell me that blue is cobalt darker blue. than deep blue. No, that's not deep blue. It's blue deep. Okay. Is a difference. No, there is not. <laughs> yes, there is. No, there is not. Yes, there is. The only difference between these two, these are the same. The only I wouldn't tap with a knife if you don't mind. You wouldn't, but I would. I, on my $200 monitor. The only difference between these two, no difference in color. The difference is, the difference between Ultramarine and French Ultramarine is French Ultramarine has already surrendered. <laughs> Take that, French! And this one belongs in Warhammer. I don't know Warhammer. It's an Ultramarine. And they're, they're one of the warriors. I literally know nothing about Warhammer. Oh. Except if Henry Cavill's making a Warhammer series, I'm interested. Because I want to see Henry Cavill succeed after all Man. the bad luck he's right. had. Ultramarines. Everybody knows them. If you've seen the Astartes videos... Nope. Oh, they're great. They're really great. They're pretty cool. That's a chainsaw sword. Ooh. Yeah. And they use them very, very well. All right. Uh, Luke, take your hand off the mouse. Why? Take your hand off the mouse. I want to look at more colors. Take your hand off the mouse. Why? Take your hand off the mouse. Why? Take your hand off the mouse. Why? 
Take your hand off the mouse, <laughs> Luke. You know why? Because we can go back to colors after we finish what we're here for. <laughs> We've not finished talking about JoJo yet. But colors. You know what? We can come back. We can come back and discuss this exact chapter in like three months when the colored version is out. Ooh, I'd be able to tell you exactly what colors they used too. You know what? I'm not gonna care. <laughs> Have you been reading the colored versions of Steel Ball Run? I uh, yes. You have? Okay, yes. cool. I prefer the colored versions of JoJo partly because it's easier to tell what's going on. Arky's you mentioned this before. Arky's art style in black and white gets kind of cluttered and it gets hard to tell what's happening. I don't think so. So not not because my eye is trained, wink wink, but whatever. Not so far. Let's uh what what have you been using to read Steel Ball? Uh, I, I actually let me see my phone. Eh. Um uh, steelballrun.com can't provide secure connection. Steelballrun.com. I'm trying to use the one that I used to use, though, because I know they've got the black and white versions, but I guess not. So it's... Steelballrun.com. Oh, they have an actual website for it. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, I probably won't be able to find it. I'll try and look for it on for some on JoJo's website, then. Uh, because more than likely, most websites now will only have the colored versions, which I'm, I need the black and white versions. Oh, JoJo's got the colored versions, It's updated too. now. Yeah, uh, let's try Mangadex. That's the one I sent you. I wasn't able to ac access Mangadex for some odd reason. Oh, okay. Uh, JoJo, Leon. Oh, interesting. It's got some website, too. Uh... I just go this chapter. 100? Yeah. I just pointed to one. Yeah, I don't know how you're not able to follow all that. Uh, I do. I see the different shades of black. I need to. I need to get a good example. So I think this isn't the best example, but I think this kind of gives you an idea. No? Okay. No. no. Uh, it's because I can see the different shades of black. Those aren't... There are no shades of black. <laughs> You'll learn one day, boy. <laughs> Chapter 101. Scroll down. That does get a little confusing. Okay. But I'm able to distinguish the lines. Okay, see, that's what I'm talking about. Where, like, when there's a whole lot going on, it starts to blend together a little bit. It does bit. a little bit, but it's not distracting, per se. I just, like, stop and focus on it for a minute. Just so I can see everything that's going on. And then I go back to what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, oh, here we, here he goes. Like, it takes my eyes a bit to adjust to what I'm seeing here. Yeah. Because of the way it's... Uh, in, in everybody's eyes does that, especially with these crude drawings. Yeah, I wouldn't call this crude. Oh, I, I, I'm saying crude as an S because of uh, they're using additional lines for shading. Yeah. So that's, that's what makes it kind of crude. <clears throat> Whereas um, with other um, 
groups, they'll just do instead of instead of um, just coloring in the entire thing, and they would blend it. It's unblended, and it's just singular lines, and it's just okay. Now we have less lines to use. Yeah, which is what makes it uh, very like go back up these trees here. Yeah, it can be complicated, but you can still see them all. Yeah, let me let me see if I can find. Uh, more stuff. Sorry to the people listening for the... That one right there. Yeah, this is where it starts to get a little bit... So, that's the thing when he's... When he's especially in, like, really high-energy, high-action stuff where, like, a lot of fighting, it gets to a point where it's, like, yeah. it's hard to for your eye to discern, distinguish what is going on. I wish I could, like, find better examples, though, because I... All those that you just passed by. Just a quick glance, like, um, there's a lot going on. Yeah, and that's the thing. When you've got colors added in there, it's it's not a problem. But when it's all black and white, mm-hmm. your your brain kind of goes for a minute like, wait, what am I looking at? Yeah. You just have to dis- decipher the image. I wish I could find better examples, though, because there have been some where, like... There have been some where... Yeah. There have been some where, like... There have been some fights I've read, particularly in JoJolian, where like I remember reading them and I just stared at the panel like I, I cannot tell. That one's a little bad. I don't know if I'd call them bad, but I mean by bad I'm just like it's yeah. is it, like you're saying the intensity. Of Definitely it. like a criticism I would give to Arki if I knew him personally was like, you need, you need to do. Like more clearly distinct, distinguish what's going on. Yeah. See, for me, like what I wish was scroll back up, that he did this sort of art style all the time, where it's hyper detailed. Yeah. Well, this but is the fact that he jumps back and forth between the two tells me that. Um, yeah. He just writes and then draws with it a little bit. Oh, that one up there. Okay. That one there would take me a minute. It would yeah. take me a minute because there's so many rock pebbles and everything else. Well, it's not just that. It's like this dude's body specifically, it kind of looks for a minute like it's twisted in a natural angle when he's just supposed to be laying there, sort of. Is that uh, Josuke? No, that's... Uh, so these are the two people that were combined into Josuke, Yoshikage Kira oh. and Josefumi Kujo. Oh, yes. Okay. So this is a flashback to them right before they became Josuke. But so, like... Stuff like this actually would be... There, like, see, this is the more crude aspect. Yeah. Because it's a lot less defined, a lot of harsh lines. Yeah. And it's not, like, finely lined in. Yeah, exactly. Like here, like this. That's finely lined in. Yeah. This is something I've noticed with a lot of manga artists, though. I don't know if I would call it a style, but it's definitely something I've noticed in manga. Like this. That looks beautiful. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. But I've noticed this with a lot of manga artists. They alternate between really crude <laughs> and really detailed. Like, almost there, on the there, there are some that do it, and I haven't... Like, for me, I never noticed that until Araki. On all the stuff that I've seen. Yeah. And I've, I've known about anime for quite some time. Since... But like since I was in sixth grade, he, he does go crude. Not but, anime manga. But when he does go hyper detailed, it looks beautiful yeah. to me. And even here, like it's a little kind of hard. Yeah. 
just to see, like distinguish them out because of the lines, but you're able to. Oh, catch like it. this. I like that. Yeah, like that's all really good stuff. There was also one. I'm not sure where it was. I might have. I might still have it saved on my phone. Also, just his artwork he does for like covers. Oh yeah, I like that. And stuff looks great. Let me see if I've got it saved. Wait, where's on... where's the opening? Okay, there it is. <laughs> oh, he actually put an opening. There's one up here too. Dang it! Oh, there's one over here too. Dang! In here. In here. Let me see if I can find it. I had some. I had. Which one character in... is this? Is this like the female love interest or whatever? Yes, that's his love actual love interest. Joe Jolien probably has the most developed love story okay. out of all of them. Uh, that's his love interest, Yasuho Hirose. And that's the main villain of the arc, Toru. And Toru Stand Wonder of You. Oh, okay. I was wondering who that was that we kept seeing in here. Let me see if I can find what I'm thinking of. Here you go. Some of these. That one's really good. Like, here's the crude stuff. Yeah. But I'm used to seeing the crude stuff all the time that when uh, you don't hyper-detail things, it's just, it's really easy to it's distinguish everything. But Arky switches so much that when... You're trying to see something. It's oh, this isn't what I was thinking of, but this is a pretty good one. <clears throat> this one isn't horrible, but you can tell that there is a slight struggle with it. Yeah. Here you go. This one. There's so much going on with it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, let me find all the lines. Yeah. And that's that's the big thing with Arky's works. Uh, there are some images where you're like, I have to find the lines and then go from there. Yeah. For me, it's almost like not the individual lines. I need to find like a base image. Or I need to find out what, what in essence, what I'm looking at is and then mm -hmm. work basically backwards from there. Pop-up ads. Sweet. That's great. I thought I had those turned off. You can turn those off. Mm-hmm. I've got ad block. I don't know how Yeah, some pop up ads go past ad block because that's the one I have. Yeah. Ad block's really good. Oh okay. yeah, it's great. Look Ad block, you don't even need to pay us. Ad block's great. Yeah. Ad block, it's an extension on uh your Google Chrome. Uh you could download it for free. They want you to kind of pay, or you can like pay a little bit for it, but you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to pay for um, it, which is the coolest part. Yeah, and it's free ad blocker. And like, I, I'm not even kidding. Times when I do have to turn off ad block because there's like a website, like a news website that won't let me see what it's got until I turn it off. I turn it off, and then the ads legitimately take up half the screen. Mm -hmm. It's like you guys know that we would. You guys know ad block wouldn't have to be a thing if you didn't make your ads intrusive, right? Exactly. So back to JoJo Lance. Oh, by the way, um, speaking on JoJo Lance a little bit, I've been thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna go more in depth into this after we get done with discussing this chapter. I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about this this arc in the new JoJo universe. Partly because you're reading part seven, and also partly because 
I want to try and talk you into reading part eight when you're done. Because I'm probably going to read it. Okay, anyway, cool. Just because it does look nice. Yeah, because um, the more I think about it, I, I think I've told you this before, part eight, I think it's got a really good first half, and I think it's got a disappointing second half, which is not okay. to say that it's bad, but the way I've described it to people before, as you can tell... You can tell that Steel Ball Run had a six-month break before it where Arky planned everything out. And you can tell that Part 8 didn't have that. Now, Arky said before he even started Part 7 that he had planned out general ideas. He said back in like 2003, which I think was a couple of years before Steel Part 7 started, he said in an interview that he had general ideas and outlines for Part 7, 8, and 9 already. So you can tell... That he had that outline for part seven and that six month break to specifically yeah, plan it to out. flush it out. You can tell with part eight that he had had ideas for it from the beginning because the more I've actually thought about it, the more I've started to find through lines and themes and stuff that he was putting in there that I had missed the first read through that I'm seeing now. In his, As you continue reading through things. Yeah. Uh, and are making me want to reread part eight with that hindsight. But, um, but. You can also tell that he didn't have a break to plan out Part 8 as thoroughly as he did Part 7 because we talked about this last chapter. Part 8 is one of the only parts where the Araki forgot meme is actually relevant because there are things he introduced like that mysterious baby that showed up in Japan mm -hmm. the same year that Johnny died. That's never mentioned again. This mysterious man from Josuke's memories. The One of the only things he could remember despite his amnesia was that weird dude from his memories who never showed up. Plot points that are just dropped. And I actually think part eight has a very rushed conclusion. Like, it, it actually surprised me. Um, because it was announced, like, two months in advance that jo Joe Jolene was going to end in two months. So we had two chapters left. I was like, really? Are, you're going to wrap this up in two chapters? How are you going to do that? And when it, it was wrapped up at the end, I was like, yeah, that was abrupt. I think you needed more time. Yeah. So, Joe Jolien... I, and it, I don't think that may have been his decision on that. I think it probably was. Um, because Araki's... How it comes off to me is Joe Jolien is the longest arc so far. Because um, I've talked about this before. Parts 1 through 6 were mm -hmm. published in Weekly Shonen Jump. Sure. Weekly Shonen, chapters come out every week and they're about 20 pages per chapter. Parts 7, 8, and 9 so far have been published in Ultra Jump, which is monthly... And the chapters are 40 pages each, so it's double the length. So the chapter, the page count of each chapter of the new universe JoJo stuff is double what the old universe was. And so the longest series in the original universe was Josuke Part 4's arc, which was around 179 chapters. So 179 times 20 pages, whatever that adds up to, you know. Whereas Josuke's... Luke's doing 3, the math. 3,000... I'm impressed. And 3,580 pages. Okay. Compared to part eight is now the longest running arc. Because it was 110 chapters at 40 pages a piece, roughly. 110? Yeah. So it's 440 pages. Hold on. I may have got the numbers wrong on that. Maybe you want to double check this now. So I'm I'm rounding them a little bit, but 179 times 20 for Josuke Part 3s is 3580. That's what I said. Roughly. 110 times... Oh, I missed a zero. This is what I did. 
I missed a zero. 4,400. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Josuke, part seven and part eight are the two longest ones because Johnny's arc was roughly 94 times 40. So, yeah, just... Yeah, it was the second longest. Yeah, just barely beat... So, Johnny's was the longest arc until Josuke came in and blew it out of the water. Yeah. But, so... It comes off to me, like, Araki could have gone as long as he wanted on that arc, I think. What it kind of comes off to me, like, Araki was ready to move on. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I've actually realized the more I think about Part 8 and the more I look back on it, I've realized Araki did what he wanted to. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. Once we're done with Jojo Lands, I can tell that Araki did what he wanted. It just seems like... He ended up rushing it a little bit because it, it it does seem to me like Araki got to chapter like 108, which he started publishing that in 2011. Jojo Lian started in 2011 and it ended in, I believe, 20. It ended in 2021. No, the end of 2020. So it ran for almost 10 years and it really comes off like Araki was hitting that 10 year mark and was just like, I need to get off of this. Yeah, I need. I need to move on. I need to start... I need to do something new. It kind of comes off like that. But anyway, I'll I'll go into depth on that in a minute. Because the more... Honestly, I... so Jojo Lands, the second chapter felt significantly shorter. It was. The first chapter... So, like I said, Ultra Jump usually does 40, 40-ish pages per chapter. Mm-hmm. Last month's, uh, to commemorate the start of the new arc, was 60. Okay. So it was 20 pages longer. This is the length that they're going to be from now on, around 40 pages. So, okay. It so, didn't even feel like 40 pages. I will agree with you on that. It, it felt short. Uh, and I think it's because there was a lot of like these kind of scenes here where it's just like action scenes. So you just see the image of something going on and you like, yeah. look at the image, look at the next one, look at the next one, look at the next one, look at the next yep. one. This, this, this chapter felt like it was still very much an establishing chapter. Sure. Partly because, like, it gives... We still haven't learned a whole bunch. Yeah. Well, but it's really firmly... It's still really firmly establishing Jodeo, telling you that he's a clinical psychopath, for example. And then we're also getting introduced to his... uh, Still introducing the the final member of his little entourage. Usagi. Usagi Pink Pink Guy. guy. Um, That's his name now. Usagi Pink Guy. guy. Usagi Pink Guy. But so Usagi brings out his stand, going, bringing it all the way back before he did the color thing. Yes. The Mate Kudasai. Hey, look! Matt! <laughs> I assume it's pronounced Mate. Yeah, that's probably Mate or Matt, whichever one. And his, so, in theory, from what I understand, Mate Kudasai as a stand, it just has the ability to make an exact copy of something. And what happened with... What with the security camera is Mate Kudasai turned itself into an exact copy of the security camera, and so what is happening now is this uh, this villa that they're infiltrating is now getting two camera feeds, two different images. One of them is an image is just an unaltered image of Jodio and his crew walking in, and the other is a heavily altered image that makes them look like different people. And the idea is. Um, because there will be, a, like, duplicate footage. The they pe- won't know which one's which. Yeah, the people owning the villa won't know which one's which. I don't know how I feel about this, because, like, it's still giving them him an accurate look at their faces. One of them is still accurate, so if he were to... So if the owner of this villa were to ever just see them on the street, he would know, oh, it's them. Yeah. 
Stan feels a little bit useless to me. But the thing is this, it says it transforms into something uh, that someone wants. Mm -hmm. So, it can't be his wishes. That is, like, the curse of his. That's the, that is the limit. Yeah. Which I like, which is something about Arky I love. He sets really firm limits on what something can do. Which makes things way more interesting because yeah. then he has to ride around it. He's the limit. Unless he, set for he does himself. the Arky forgets again. Okay, it's not really Arky forgets things. When he, whenever he can't ride around a rule he's made, what he'll do is he'll 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 reveal that Star Platinum can stop time, for example. Oh, okay. Well, but that's not very often that he does that. But, but even with Star Platinum stopping time, it kind of it made sense. Yeah. Because I, I wish there had been more build up to it. Like, I wish that he had introduced that idea that it could stop time earlier in the series, maybe start foreshadowing that. Sure. It feels very abrupt in the Dio arc. But he doesn't do that often, which I appreciate him for. Exactly. It doesn't feel, he doesn't treat stands like Super Saiyan, where you can just pull out a new ability to get yourself out of trouble. <laughs> Luke looks very upset that I'm trashing Dragon Ball again, even though it deserves it. Listen here, Attack on Titan, administer. Okay. I don't want to hear your incelness, okay? I will agree with you that it is, it is incelness to like Attack on Titan. I do not for a minute agree that it is incelness to dislike Dragon Ball. I think it's rather, What I'm telling you is this. I think it's rather based in Red Pill to not like <clears throat> Dragon Ball. Sir. Yeah? It's very blue pill of you. It's very, very blue pill of you. That's fine. You can keep having your wrong opinion. Back to JoJo. <laughs> Says the attack on Titan love. <laughs> it, um, it feels... It feels kind of like a useless... The, the ability to make whatever you want, what whatever someone else wants... That part is not the useless useless part. The useless part is what it does with the camera in this chapter. Yeah. Feels very unhelpful. I was actually surprised that they went with that at all. I, I was expecting a joke where they would basically just tell him that's useless. We don't want to be on the camera at all. Yeah. But I know I was surprised they didn't. But let me let me go back through that real quick and look at it. Okay. Why you do that on these restrooms? Real one and a fake one. Oh, so the reason why is because you would not be able to use either copy as proof because a pre-existing one would also be uh, able to be seen and that's why okay let me explain that to Henry when he gets back
So the reason why it makes sense to me now is this. Mm. In a court of law, it wouldn't stand. Because you have two camera footages and you can't tell which one's which. Uh-huh. And so uh, okay, that may be that may because be they're yeah. criminals and they were talking about cops earlier on in this chapter and so he's like there's no way to figure out so you can't use it as proof sure that that makes a level more sense, sense. yeah yeah more sense but. i'm willing to accept that as a night uh, that is something and so then we move on to the final pages of the final two pages, Jodio is spying on them. He's there, he's going to be the lookout for this. And the entire time, I'm like, Josuke? Yeah, the, the entire time, uh, uh, if you're Luke, you're expecting someone like Josuke. And you were expecting him too. I, well, I was, but the thing is, I the way I found out that this chapter was out was on the JoJo wiki. Okay. And so I looked at the page, and so I saw who it was okay. before I read the chapter, so I already knew what was coming next. Yeah. Um, so Jodio's spying on on this dude who's out swimming, and he realizes, "Oh wait, I know this guy. He's famous. I've actually I've read some of his books, and I've I've watched anime adaptations of his stuff. And if anyone listening to this is a JoJo fan, I kind of doubt it. I don't, unless there may be maybe uh, you may maybe you might be predicting what's coming. And the final page reveals that the Japanese man who's visiting." is none other than Rohan Kishibe, which means nothing to Luke, baffles me. <laughs> so I'm going to go up for Luke, and I'm going to go to part four, Allies. Go to oh. Rohan Kishibe. And this is him from part four. Rohan also is the star of a spinoff manga that Araki has been writing on and off for years. Okay. And this is how he looks in that. So, I am baffled by this, Luke. Because if anyone uh, listening to this looks up Jojo Land's chapter 2 and looks in the final page, what you'll see is that Rohan, the Rohan Kishibe who appears in this chapter looks virtually identical to the Rohan Kishibe of the original Jojo universe. Which would mean... That Rohan Kishibe is the only JoJo character who not only has the same name as his original jo- universe counterpart, but the exact same look. Because, Luke, I'm going to do something for you. Oh, so it's not the same because it was a spinoff because part four he looked different. No, that's just Araki's art style. This is supposed to be the same. Okay. This is set well, in the JoJo for, for universe. For me, what this... This is, this is... So, Araki has been writing the Kishibe Rohan spinoff. Mm-hmm. Since, like, the 99. So, I've shown oh. you how his art style changes each part. Sure. His art style for Rohan has changed with each chapter. Because there's always, like, a five-year gap between each chapter. Oh. So, this... It's actually cool to me. Because Rohan's one of the only characters from the original universe who you get to see in every single Arky art style. Because Arky just keeps coming back to him in that spinoff. He's like, I like Rohan. <laughs> yeah. It's like... He apparently really does after this chapter. But so, Luke, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to do is I'm going to get Jonathan Joestar, Johnny Joestar, Josuke Higashikata, Josuke Higashikata. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to... Wait, wait, go back up. Go back up to part one through three. Wait, wait, what? What, what is that? 
Rudolf von Stroheim. <laughs> Rudolf von Stroheim. Yeah. And uh, who's that? Rudolf von Stroheim. <laughs> I'm going to let's see what else. Uh, then I'm going to go to antagonists, and I'm going to get Yoshikage Kira, and ooh, right, Dio, and I'm also going to get Dio. So Dio. <laughs> Here is Jonathan Joestar, Luke, in obviously art style. Very reminiscent of 80s anime. Uh, Physically modeled after Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. Oh, I meant to get Joseph, too. Josie boy. So, physically modeled after Arnold Schwarzenegger. For those of you who don't know, Jonathan is canonically 6'5". Built like Schwarzenegger. Built like a brick, brick house. Yeah. Now we got Johnny Joestar. Slightly effeminate. Yeah. He is he's his height is never canonically stated, but he's probably around 5'7 or 5'9-ish. He is short he is average to short. Yeah. Um, and that's because he's been paralyzed for most of his life, so he obviously his mus- his muscles will atrophy a little bit. Yeah. He regains his ability to walk at a certain point, but at that point, he's already 19. He's already gone through most of his development physically, so he's going to be that. But for those of you who don't know, anyone who knows me personally, which a few people listening to this do know me personally, Luke knows me personally, if you want a reference, if I take off my glasses and I put on a beanie... You're Johnny. Johnny looks like me. So for reference, I'd like to think I'm not as scrawny as he is. But for reference, if you're wondering what Johnny looks like, Jonathan looks sort of like Schwarzenegger, and he's got sort of a mullet-type hairstyle, black hair, so big, burly dude with black hair. Jonathan, short, scrawny guy who looks like me. Michael Sarah. No, he does, he looks like me, not Michael Sarah. <laughs> Michael Sarah, if he had blonde hair. <laughs> no. But so Johnny looks vaguely similar to me, so now I've got, I've got Joseph up. And so I've pulled up Joseph. Joseph, also six foot five, ripped. Uh, Arky specifically said that he modeled Joseph after Sylvester Stallone. Um, Makes the, sense. The, I see it now. Yeah, the bandana. The bandana from Rambo. Yeah, the ba- actually, what's I didn't even know this, but the scene of Joseph tying the bandana on his head in memory of Caesar mm-hmm. is meant to directly parallel Rambo tying his bandana. It's drawn the same way. Okay. So yeah, uh, Joseph... Unironically, you want to know what Joseph looks like? Just look up a picture of Rambo. And so, I'm going to pick up, pull up Joseph Joestar from the new universe. Uh, he reminds me of the kid from Bully, the video game. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good opening to it. Joseph in the new universe is about 5'10", 5'11". It's noted that he's above average. But he's above he's above average height, but he lives in Japan. So let's say about 5'10"-ish. 5'10 is, uh, like, above average yeah. there. 5'10"-ish, buzz cut blonde hair, except for a couple of little strands hanging out. A couple out. little doodads up front. So he is... He's fit, he's not scrawny, but he's built more like a runner than like a Stallone yeah, type. He, he, he looks like he runs track. Yeah, so very different from Joseph. We look at Josuke Higashikata. Uh, very metrosexual looking. Yeah, very, unironically, I would say... Uh, very, yeah, very Prince-like. Model, uh, most people assume that he's modeled after Prince, so just uh, go to, just look up Prince and look up 
and just look at images of prints on Google, and that'll give you. And he, and he has uh, and the hairstyle he uses is a pompadour. Yeah, pompadour. So sort of like this. Yes. Um. So that. So Joe and Josuke, not super ripped, but athletic. Again, yeah. more of a runner's body. Then you got Josuke from Part Eight. Looks like a uh, a model for Men's Weekly. Yeah, where, but uh, for like the wrong issue or something. Always wear always wear wearing a sailor outfit. And unironically, I've talked to. Oh, Looks like he's part of the village people. Sorry, I thought I was clicking on Discord. Uh, where's your Discord? Uh, I don't have it downloaded. What? So go to the website. Yeah, Discord. Just open Discord in the browser. Dude, why don't you have it downloaded? Because I got way too many notifications all the time. Uh, You're up here. So I've got my Discord profile is a picture of Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And uh, I'm going somewhere with this. You're probably wondering why I brought this up just now. No, I'm just like... No, I'm talking to our listeners, not you. Um, let me see. Images. So if you look up Red Hot Chili Peppers Gus Van Sant on Google, what you'll what will happen is one of the first results you'll get on images is a picture of the Red Hot Chili Peppers taken while they were promoting their Stadium Arcadium album. And in the middle of the picture, you've got Flea, their bassist, dressed up in a sailor's uniform. And I'm pretty convinced that Josuke in Part 8 is partially modeled on Flea in that sailor uniform. So if you want an idea of what I th- uh, how I would describe Josuke, I would unironically say look up that picture yeah. of Flea. Partly because their hairstyles are a little different, but what actually sold it for me is not just the sailor uniform, and I know that Araki loves music, Luke. It's the jawline. It's not just the jawline either. It's, um, you will, uh, you can't tell there. Uh, So look so this the teeth uh, he has a gap yeah uh flea has a very noticeable gap in his in the in his front teeth and so does josuke josuke has a very noticeable gap in the front of his teeth it's not aware of that canonically the reason for that is he's two people combined into one and that uh. gap is where the seam is i guess uh. between the people but when I see Josuke dressed up the same way that Flea was in a promotional image for the Red Hot Chili Peppers' most famous album they ever made, and I and I start to notice those physical similarities between Josuke and Flea, I'm like, Josuke has to be modeled after Flea. Mm-hmm. He has to. So, just look up Red Hot Chili Peppers, Gus Van Sant, look for the picture of all four of them together with Flea in a sailor's uniform, and I would say that's probably a close approximation of what Josuke looks like. So... Again, talking about difference in appearance, you've got Japanese Prince from Part 4 and uh, Japanese Flea in Part 8. Yeah. So that's the difference between them. So now you go to Yoshikage Kira. Yoshikage Kira in the original universe was modeled after David Bowie. Can see that. Yeah. And, uh, oh. And... Yoshikage Kira in the new universe... Just looks like Josuke from Part A, but with longer hair. He, he looks like if Gerard Way, back in his emo <laughs> phase, was to put on a sailor costume. 
<laughs> that's not bad. That's that is a good way to put it. He does look emo. Gerard Way with a with the uh, sailor costume. On. Yeah, he kind of. So yeah, let's say David Bowie versus Gerard Way. Yeah, and so now you get to Dio Brando. <clears throat> So Dio Brando, which is very, very, um, very, very eighties esque, like with Schwarzenegger yeah. still figures. Same arc as Jonathan and Joseph and all of them. So he's also he's not six five canonically. Before he stole Jonathan's body, he was canonically six one. Okay, but built just like the rest of them, massive like body, brick house. And I actually re- read an interview recently. Do you know who Rutger Hauer is? Sounds familiar. He was the main villain of Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, Rucker. Yeah. Uh, I read a an interview with Arky recently that he where he said that he based Dio's yes. look off of Rutger off of Rutger Hauer in Blade Runner. That makes sense. So if you want to know what Dio looks like, his hair lot his hairstyle isn't exactly the same as Rutger Hauer's. It's close. It's similar. So if you ever if you want Rutger Hauer Blade, just look up Rutger Hauer Blade Runner, and that will give you a decent approximation of what Dio is supposed to look like in part one. Yeah. Versus part seven. The new universe Dio, I'd say is part actually... Part eight is uh, Slimmer Jason. Part seven. Mom- or part seven is Slimmer Jason Momoa. Yes, yeah, Slim. Kind of does look like Jason Momoa, yeah. But... Slimmer Jason Momoa with clothes on, actually. Yeah, so Dio. Dio is actually the closest of all the ones I've shown so far. Blonde hair and all that. No, look- wait, wait. Who the heck is that? Um, Jerry Cantrell before he cut all of his hair off. Who's Jerry Cantrell? Uh, guitars for Allison Chains. <sighs> oh, I can see that. Like here. Too old in that one. But uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. saying. He's 57. Yeah. I, I figure there are younger pictures of him out there somewhere. Yeah, he is. <laughs> dude, fat Axel, dude. Fat Axel. <laughs> That's amazing. Anytime that. I can make fun of him, I will. Hey, Axel! Hey, Axel! So, um. But. Instead, well, Dio actually looks instead the, of Dio Brando, we have Diego Brando. Yeah. So name change. But what's actually interesting, Luke, is none of obviously none of the new universe characters have been in an anime yet. Mm-hmm. They have appeared in video, JoJo video games that have been made though, and D, Dio slash Diego is the only character whose original universe and alternate universe self or vo- or voiced by the same voice actor. Oh. Jonathan and Johnny voiced by different voice actors. Josuke and Josuke different voice actors. Dio and Diego same voice actor. So there is an implication from the voice actors that like they are so, they are that Dio and Diego are the most similar of any of the alternate universe uh counterparts so far. But now, let me go to minor characters cuz Luke I'm about to make your day. So we've gone over um, Jonathan, Johnny, Joseph, Joseph, Josuke, Josuke, Yoshikage, Yoshikage. Same names, but they look incredibly different. Yes. And then you get to Dio and Diego. Different names, but they look very similar. Yes. Now we're going to... Um, do you recall... Do you remember Muhammad Abdul from Yeah, Abdul. 
Yeah, minor character in part seven, Ermid Abdul, who looks almost exactly like Abdul. <laughs> he looks like he's off of the, uh, uh, he's one of the extras from The Mummy. We <laughs> <laughs> go down a little bit. Um, oh, wait. Look away for half a minute. I forgot he wasn't on the list of minor characters. Look away. I'm not looking. Another minor character who appears in part seven. Strive! I have to read part seven now. I thought you had already started. I have to read all of it now. Is well, what yeah, you saying. do. So Stroheim Fritz is Fritz von Stroheim instead of Rudolph. Yeah, instead of Rudolph. The distant, distant relative. Yeah. Instead of, and also, um, he this dude appears in 1890, roughly, whereas Stroheim in the original universe lived in 1938. Oh. Different time. Grandfather. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, Luke, I know the only reason you liked Stroheim is that he was a Nazi. Unfortunately, this man is not a Nazi. No, it's because he says German science is the greatest science. German science is the greatest in the world! But so... Every alternate universe counterpart that has appeared so far, either they have looked the same and had different names, or they've had the same names and looked different, or in Dio's case, they have had almost the same name and looked almost the same. Right? Yes. Now with Rohan Kishibe, we have gotten to a... Now with Rohan Kishibe, we have a character in the new universe who has the exact same name and the exact same design as the original universe, and when I saw that... I was simultaneously over the moon excited and simultaneously bottom of the valley disappointed. And what I mean by that is my first thought when I saw Rohan with no alterances to him whatsoever was, oh, are we about to connect the universes? Are we about to have the universes merge together in some way? Is Rohan going to bridge them? And then after... About a day of thinking about it, I was like, man, if this isn't Arky setting up the two universes clashing in, for, in like, like alternate universe counterparts of each other meeting. So what you're saying is we're going to get two Stroheims facing off against each other? I'm not saying that. But I yes, am, we are. Yes, I, we are. <laughs> what I am saying is, um, is it... Wait. Diego meets Dio. Well, there are two Diegos in Part 7, so Diego and Diego meet Dio. No, no! Diego and alternate Diego meet Dio, meet Dio Brando and Dio. Yes. Part 1 Dio, Part 3 Dio, and both Part 7 Dios. <laughs> That's actually a thing in the in one of the JoJo video games. Parts, part 1 Dio and Part 3 Dio meet each other. Sorry. Mother's having issues getting into Hulu. I'm 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 reading the quote from Stroheim and I'm hearing it in Stroheim's voice. Drop them, Jido Zippery! Drop those from your hand right now! If you don't, I shoot your friend and your horse. Sounds right. I shoot your friend and your horse. But anyway, uh, I got more disappointed the more I thought about it. 
Because the more I thought about it, the more I realized, like, dude, if this is just alternate universe Rohan, and Araki just didn't change him at all because he's Araki's self-insert cinnamon roll, I'm going to be so pissed off. It'll, it'll be the first time in history that JoJo has pissed me off as, a po- as opposed to just slightly disappointing Oops. me. But anyway, you know nothing about Rohan, so you don't really have anything to add, I guess? No, not really. I mean, he seems like an interesting guy. Oh yeah, he's a, he actually is one of my favorite characters from Part 4. So I, I am interested to see him, but if he's not here to connect the universes for, somehow, if he's not here to do that, then I'm really pissed off that he wasn't Josuke. Yes. Um, and the thing is, he may be there, and then it may have another connection to Josuke. I hope so. So, now, we watch what happens. They have Rohan. And he's like, oh, man, someone stole my things. And he's like, hey, Josuke, I need your help with this. Someone stole my thing. <laughs> that would be nice. Anyway, now I'm going to I'm gonna zoom out a little bit. Because I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days. And basically, Luke, I want to discuss with you for half a second um, the entire new universe in JoJo. This entire reboot universe. Because Seven, you, eight, nine. Yeah. Because you have been watching parts 1, 2, 3, and 6. So you've got the feel of that universe. And the more I thought about it, the more I've realized that the reboot universe that Arki has been doing, I feel like has a... I'm going to say a creative, a creative idea behind it. Unifying the three parts, even though... There have been there have been less there's been less connection between parts seven eight and nine than between any of the other parts because part two was filled with callbacks to part one part yes. three was filled with callbacks to part two part six is filled with car- callbacks to part three to one two and three yeah actually. You, so you can tell that these are all in the same universe whereas part seven eight and nine have felt more disconnected uh, part eight shows us how Johnny died after part seven so that's a connection. It shows, it actually shows what happened to a couple of the side characters from Part 7 after they died. But aside from that, from that, very few callbacks at all. It's very much its own thing. And obviously Part 9 just started, but it's it's been very light on the references to Part 8 as well. And the only reason I bring that up is because people, because there was so much in Part 8 left unfinished, people were expecting a much stronger tie between Part 8 and 9. Because they were expecting Part Nine to tie into and maybe fill in some of the miss, some of the unfulfilled plot points of Part Eight, and maybe like the whole Arky forgot thing was all like a ruse. I'm hoping. Um, but so, I have been the new universe. I love Part Seven. It is the best arc in JoJo. Many people agree. Um, no, ma- no, it, it's it's worldwide. Like. Yeah. As a whole, like you look at top ten mangas, you've got Full Metal in there, and like top three of those, yeah, is Steel Ball. That's something I've been very happy about. Is when we've looked it up and looked up different lists, people pretty consistently put Steel Ball Run in there. Dis- like it's like it's number one or number two yeah. usually, despite the fact that it's not gotten a wide release out of Japan yet. Like that is how powerful. Its appeal is. Yes. So, part seven is widely regarded as the best um, 
arc of Jojo, Johnny Joestar is widely regarded as one of the best anime characters just ever. I would easily put him up there with characters like Guts from Berserk, which is saying a lot. Like, Berserk's another one of people yeah. like praise right now. Because Berserk is like one of the sacred cows of anime. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. Even, and it, it deserves it. Berserk is one of those mangas where I've seen people, like again, I'm in Attack on Titan servers, where Attack on Titan fans are loath to ever admit that anything could be better than Attack on Titan. So anytime something good comes out, like for example, Vinland Saga, because Vinland Saga is phenomenal. Everyone listening to this, I would absolutely recommend it. Season 2 is airing right now, and Season 2 is the best arc. Season 2 is up there with Steel Ball Run. Season 2 of Vinland Saga is phenomenal. I would absolutely recommend it. But so, when something phenomenal like Vinland Saga comes out, the knee-jerk reaction from a lot of Attack on Titan fans is to go, Yeah, it's pretty good. It's not Attack on Titan, though. When, what was that? It's a notification from my mother. Okay. Um, and so the knee-jerk reaction is, if something is as phenomenal as Vinland Saga, they usually will admit that it's good, but they won't accept that it's better than Attack on Titan. If you have something like Demon Slayer, which is not bad. It's better than Attack on Titan. It's it's fine. It's I'm not saying it's bad, but like, you know, it's not phenomenal. You know what I mean? I love it. It's not, like, phenomenal storytelling, you know what I mean? It's not... What's I still a good... love it. But you know what I'm saying. It's good. But it, it, you're saying it's good, like, it's good, but... It's no Empire there's Strikes way, Back. There's ways that it could improve to make it great. Yeah. It's like... So, Vin... Not Vinland Saga. Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer's like a new hope, and we're waiting for the Empire Strikes Back moment. That actually is a way to put it. Demon Slayer is a new hope in that it's a good story, but it's not a particularly ambitious story. Whereas... It, it is ambitious, per se. Well, you know what I mean by ambitious. Yes. Like, it's not... Um, it's not Saving Private Ryan. Sure. Saving Private Ryan, because you can be a good story, and then you can be, like, just a good, very basic story, or you can be a very good character study, like Saving Private Ryan or something like, or a very good warm, you know what I'm talking, do you know what I'm talking, Joker, for example, it is harder to write a good story like Joker than it is to write just a standard, like, Hercules type story where Hercules fights the lion or something like that. Yeah. And that's how I would describe Demon Slayer. It's a very good but basic story. It's not something like Joker where you're tackling just an incredibly difficult, complex subject matter. And you did it phenomenally. But anyway, so Demon Slayer is one of those ones where Attack on Titan fans won't won't own up to it being good. They're like, oh, Demon Slayer is so overrated. Dude, Demon Slayer sucks. Demon Slayer is awful. Why do people think that's good? It's like... Because it is good. Yeah, it's, it's like... It's like, and then my response, I don't, like, I don't get into fights over it, but the two things that go through my head are, one, Glass Houses. Yes. <laughs> one, Attack on Titan fan, Glass Houses. Two, it is good. Just because Demon Slayer's not Joker doesn't mean that it's not good. Yeah. And so... Just because it's not the top ten animes of all time doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah. But Berserk is the one where Attack on Titan fans will be like, fine, that's better. Or at least most of them. The most diehard ones would be like, nah, it's not. It's good. It's good. It's really good, but Attack on Titan's better. Most 
Most Attack on Titan fans who are fair in their assessment will be like, yeah, Berserk. Berserk's better. So Berserk's one of those ones where like even where like even some of the most radical fandoms will be like, fine Berserk. Fine. 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 And what's sad is it it can never be finished. Yeah, that's really sad. But, I, but the thing is I though, knew it was I knew that was gonna happen because that dude was like fifty something when he died. And he had, up until then he had been releasing like four chapters per year. And wow. Well, and it wasn't because he was doing the George R. R. Martin thing where he wasn't writing. It was because it would literally take him, like, five months to write Berserk. Like, for example, have you ever... I've seen some of the imagery in it. Like, it's, it's very detailed. Yeah, look, legit, the reason he was releasing, like, four chapters a year is because it took him months to draw stuff like this. Yes. Berserk has some of the best art I've ever seen. It is obscene how good the like art that, is. that night right there. Yeah, that's guts. It is obscene how good Berserk's art is. But, so I've read, I read all of Berserk up until he died. I read a couple of the chapters they released with his assistants writing based on the notes he had left behind and they weren't as good. So mm-hmm. I'm not that invested in it anymore. But I already knew it was going to, I already knew he was going to die before it finished simply because, um... I could tell from where he was at in the story that the story still had a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I would like usually an arc in Berserk is roughly fifty to hundred chapters, and it felt like it still had at least one more arc to go. So it's like, let's say Berserk has just fifty more chapters left. The dude's in his fifties, and he's releasing three or four chapters a year. That's not finishing. Just realistically, even you if, could finish it, even if the dude lives a full but life, three or, three or four chapters a year. 50 to 100, so at most, be 40 years. He's in his 50s. Yeah, he's in his 50s at most, but then you cut that number in half. What do you mean? Cut that number in half. What number? If it's 50. Oh. Because you say 100. Well, it's if it's 50, it's 20 years. He was at 54. So if it was 50 chapters, maybe he could have finished it. I would assume it was more than that. But if he could have finished it, he would have absolutely been pushing it. Like yeah. it was inc- still though. The point I'm making is I I already knew from the rate that he was releasing chapters and based on how the story was progressing, I was like it's very unlikely that this is going to finish before that the dude is going to finish this in his yeah. lifetime. And but when did he start writing Berserk? He started writing Berserk in uh, 89. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he... And I he, didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, and he died in 2021, so... Yeah, Berserk ran for... Oops. Berserk ran for over 30 years. So, um... Sub two years, it was... 32. Yeah. 32 So, yeah, years. Berserk is old. Actually, you played Dark Souls, right? Yeah, some. So, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Elden Ring, anything FromSoft has done was inspired by Berserk. Oh. Like, all of the imagery, all of the... Everything is inspired by Berserk. In fact, Elden Ring has an armor set that you can collect, which is based directly on Guts' armor. It's it, it's exactly the same. There's a sword you can get in Elden Ring that is exactly the same as Guts' sword, because Elden Ring was the one where they were most heavily, like... 
where they were most heavily like we're putting it on our sleeve that we're inspired by this series we want to honor the series as much as possible and it just so happens that the game that they did that where they honored him most heavily was the game that came out i think the same year he died so Mm -hmm. it kind of aligned yeah um for that but yeah berserk is incredibly influential let me actually look it up now we're going to take a detour into berserk legacy Berserk is regarded as one of the most influential dark fantasy works. Peter Fabian, in an essay in The Legacy and Impact of Berserk, called it a monolith not only for anime and manga, but also for fantasy, literature, video games, you name it, comparing its level of influence to Blade Runner. According to writer and editor Kazushi Shimada, series like Fullmetal Alchemist, Attack on Titan, Demon Slayer, Jujutsu Kaisen would not have existed if not for Berserk. Some dark fantasy manga authors have, who have declared influence from Berserk include Hajime Isayama, Attack on Titan, Kazuo Kado, Blue Exorcist, and Yana Taboso, uh, Black Butler. Other authors influenced by Berserk include Makoto Yukimura, Vinland Saga, Yu- yep, Yuki Tabata, Black C- Clover, and uh, Ryogo Narita, Bakano and Durara. Adi Shankar, showrunner of the Castlevania animated series, said in an interview that he would like to adapt Berserk calling it the hyper-detailed beauty of Mira's work, artwork a true masterpiece, while Adam Dietz, Castlevania assistant director, stated that the show was inspired by Berserk. Um, let's see. Berserk has also inspired a number of video games, including the Dynasty, Destiny, Dynasty Warriors, Final, Final Fantasy. Fantasy, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, Elden, Elden Ring. Ring, Devil May Cry, and Dragon's Dogma. Yeah, and then you get into the heavy metal bands because every single fantasy thing ever has. Well, just, it looks like it's just one. Nope, two. Yeah. Two. Uh, which is uh, the metal band Battle Beast. Yeah. Uh, they have a song written. They have songs written about Berserk off of their 2013 self-titled album, and then in 2021, a band I actually used to listen to, um, Slaughter to Prevail, deathcore band. Uh, released a music video featuring scenes from the 1997 animated yeah. series. So, this actually reminds me, we've talked about influential anime before, I, I forgot to mention it, which is kind of a crime on my part. Three most influential anime series of all time, I'm saying it now, three most influential what, animes what, what, what of all time. Was it the one, was it Fire of the North Star or something like that? So, I wouldn't say Fist of the North Fist Star. Of the North Star. Fist of the North Star is influential in the same way that um, Fats Domino was, mm-hmm. where Fats Domino inspired Elvis Presley and the Beatles, and then they influenced, quote unquote, influenced everyone yeah. else. Whereas it was Muddy. Yeah, Muddy Waters was the one who actually influenced everyone. Where, and what I mean is, there's the degree of separation between Fats Domino and then everything that came after. Yeah. So. Fats Domino and Fist of the North Star are the same in the sense that Fats Domino inspired Elvis Presley, and then Elvis Presley revolutionized the music scene based yeah. on Fats, what Fats, Fats Domino did. It's Dragon Ball Z. Fist of the North Star inspired Dragon Ball and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and then they revolutionized the shonen genre. Like, every sing, I have noticed that every single manga author like that I read interviews from, they, without fail will mention when they list off their list of influences they will have either dragon ball or jojo on there attack on titans writer ajime isayama said that jojo was his favorite manga growing up so again jojo and dragon ball get everywhere but i let i always forget berserk even though berserk was the same time frame and berserk is just as influ like they are the big those are the three yeah 
So the thing is this, that's where, like, you have this sort of, like, hatred for Dragon Ball, but at the same time, how influential it was. Oh, I know. It's the same as the Beatles. I hate the Beatles, and they're not well, good. For me, I feel Dragon Ball was better than the Beatles. So it actually had potential. It's not a particularly high bar, but I will let you have that. <laughs> Like it actually had potential, okay? Yeah. Mind you, they, there were things that they could have done better. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But it's still like it created. Yeah. Anyway, Berserk. Actually, I have a friend of mine. Um, he doesn't really like anime. He's been getting into it more and more. I got him to watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and he liked it. He's super into Dragon Ball, which I'm. I wish he wasn't, but oh, to each look their here. Own. Uh. They say that Berserk started the visual trend for characters wielding giant oh, swords. Oh, absolutely, absolutely it so did. So, Cloud Strife from uh, Final Fantasy VII, Dante from Devil May Cry, and Ichigo Kurosaki from Bleach. Oh, dude, absolutely. The giant sword thing was started by Berserk. Absolutely. I don't know how big his sword is, to be exact. Well, I mean, I, that doesn't give me a frame of reference compared to his, like, body. So that is his body? Well, I'm aware of that, but he's crouched. Okay. Um, like, if he was standing up and I saw it better. Well. Okay. Yes. That thing. Now it makes sense. I believe that Guts is supposed to be canonically around six foot seven, and that thing is as tall as him, I think. Okay. really give a height on but it did at one point i think there was a guidebook that was released that said what his height was nope six <clears throat> uh. he's typing guts height at the top the, oh, here it is. Uh, the Berserk official guidebook states that circa Fantasia arc when Guts was 24, he was 204 centimeters. So, that's I know that's over 6'6". So, it says it... So, the guidebook claims that when he was 24 years old, he was... It's a little over 6.5. Yeah, so... Probably uh, uh, roughly 204, 6'8". Yeah. So yeah, at twenty at twenty four years old, he was six foot eight, and that sword he carries around. The sword is is just as big as he is, if yeah. not bigger. And uh, let me see if I can. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, wow, okay. Yeah, and he's he's going through st stone columns with that thing, and a dude's trying to dodge with a rapier. Okay, yeah. Guts. So it makes sense. Guts is a tank. So the thing is, this this is funny. So there's a guy who lives in the area here. Guts. That Gu I I know. Guts his, is his, his favorite is Berserk. My favorite's Dragon Ball Z, and your favorite's JoJo. Dragon Ball's your favorite. Come on. No, Dragon Ball's my favorite of the big. Oh, three. of the big three. Of the big three. Sure. Yeah. I think so. It, it be, and that's because Dragon Ball is of yeah. the nostalgia. Factor. Here's the thing, though. I um, I like, I definitely like JoJo the most, but I would huh, say, huh? Really? Yeah, but really, I but stop. But 
here's the thing. I would say Steel Ball Run is the only arc of JoJo that gets to Berserk levels of quality. Sure. 95, 90% of Berserk is better than JoJo, I would say. All of like all of JoJo, including Steel Ball. Now, I, let me let me phrase that differently. Um, Ber- the only arc of JoJo that I don't wouldn't say Berserk is better than is, is Steel Ball. Steel Ball. Okay. Yeah. The um, rest of JoJo is um, subsequently not to the same standard as Berserk. Here's how. Let me see if I would break it down like this. I'm going to try and rate them on a 1 to 10 scale. So I would say part 1 is 3 out of 10. Part 2 is 7 out of 10. Good man. Part 3 is 6 out of 10. Mm. Part 4 is 7 out of 10. Part 5 is 6, maybe down to 5 out of 10. Somewhere between 5 or 6 out of 10. Part 6 is back to 7 out of 10. So we've got parts parts 2, 4, and 6 are all 7 out of 10s. Mm-hmm. Uh, part 7. Part 7 is a 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Part 8. That one's the most difficult because... Because of the way it ended. Yeah, really great start. And there are things about the ending, the more I think about it thematically, that I love. There are things about the ending that I love, but it is so rushed. So I would, I'm going to say 7 out of 10 for Joe Jolien, which is actually way higher than I would have rated it a month ago. Because I've been thinking about it more the past month. And then part 9 just started. So what you've got with JoJo is you've got parts 2, 4, 6, and 8. Did not mean to do it that way, but those are all... Who do we appreciate? 7 out of 10. Part 7 is a 9 out of 10. Parts uh, 3 and 5 are f- around a 5, struggling to make 6 out of 10-ish, I would say. And then part 1 is a 3 out of 10. Berserk. The first 100 chapters of Berserk are all 9, nine out of 10. That Like that entire arc, I believe it's called the Golden Age arc, is a 9 out of 10. And then everything past there uh, sits at about a... S- I would say everything after the Golden Age arc sits at around a 7 out of 10. Some of it dips down to 6, I would say. A big problem I have is that you can tell that Kentaro Miura, the writer of Berserk, you can tell that he had the he was most passionate about and had the most ideas for that first arc. Because mm-hmm. the first arc of Berserk ends with the Eclipse, which is basically the Red Wedding of Berserk, which is anyone who knows Game of Thrones will know what that is. And so you can, I can, you can see everything up to roughly chapter 100 when the eclipse takes place. You can see everything building up toward that. It's so well done. And then everything after that feels a little bit directionless. Like there is a goal, there is an objective, but it's not really... It, it doesn't feel pushed. Yeah. It, there is a goal and it doesn't feel like... It feels like it's sort of... Actually, so... Is it kind of like Majora's Mask, where you, you have a time frame and you have to be able to make precise moves within that time frame? No. Not to waste time. Actually, so I, I should be get, bit, get a bit more specific. There is a very clear goal right after the eclipse. That part is good, where Guts has to find its girlfriend, Casca, because she's lost her memories, and he's got to save her from um, this corrupt church that is persecuting people. There's an entire arc about that. That's not bad. 
that has a clear direction. But then after he gets Casca back, the idea is he's got to take down the main villain, but the main villain is a literal god who can't be touched. And so a lot of, after he reunites with Casca, a lot of the series feels like it's kind of spinning its wheels because the author doesn't really know how to get around what he's written himself into, which is the main villain of this series is literally unbeatable. But I've got to find a way to... What about Elden Ring? What about Dark Souls? <laughs> what about Bloodborne? Yeah. But I, I've set this... I, it's like... It feels like Berserk knows what its story is. The problem is the author can't figure out how to make that story happen. So past a certain point, once he's reunited with Casca, it's just sort of spinning its wheels, not sure how to go about the story. Okay. So you go from like a 9 out of 10 the first 100 chapters to probably like a 7 or an 8 out of 10 after that and then it dips to like maybe a six or so because the writing is good but it's directionless because it feels like the author doesn't know how to go about sitting there he he doesn't know how to go he knows what he wants to do but he doesn't know how to go about it is how it sort of it's kind of like sitting at the crossroads it's like i know i need to go this way but i can't open the fence (laughs) yeah it kind of feels like that so that's the thing past a certain point berserk and levels of quality is about the same as parts two, four, four six, six, and eight. eight. And that's... So Berserk kind of dips to there. But there's nothing in Berserk that's as bad as part one. So there is that. And also, there more of... In terms of percentage, like percentage of the series, there is way more 9 out of 10 level Berserk than there is JoJo. Because JoJo's just got part seven at 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Berserk's got... Roughly 100 chapters at 9 out of 10. And then after that, the low... 94 chapters of JoJo. True. So it's it's right there. It's about the... That's true. It is about the same. So they've got roughly the same amount... Roughly the same content. Literally... Roughly the same amount of content. And it's very comparable to each other in quality and writing. Yeah, for Steel Ball Run and the Golden Age arc. And then from there... Berserk dips, but it dips very slowly, so there's still a sizable portion of it that's sitting at like a 7 out of 10, and then it sort of bottoms out at a 6 and never goes lower, whereas JoJo goes from like 3 to 7 to 5 to 7 to 5 to 7 to 9 to like 6 or a 7 for part Mm 8, and now we don't know where part 9 is going to end up. Mm -hmm. So... That's the other thing. Berserk is more consistent in its quality than JoJo is. But Berserk is still following the exact same character. Yes. Whereas um, JoJo is literally jumping all over the place. Which, that's another thing that Berserk is commendable for. Because we've talked about this on the podcast. I feel like a very appealing thing about JoJo is that like once a character's story has run its course, you can move on to another one. You, you don't weigh you don't weigh out their welcome by doing the same tournament arc with Goku for twenty years in a row. If you catch my drift, Luke. Yes, I couldn't tell what you're bashing Dragon Ball. It sounds yeah. like. Whereas Berserk has been going for thirty years, and I'm still dis. Well, I was I was losing investment at the end because the author was sort of spinning his wheels, couldn't figure out what to do. But that wasn't a problem with the characters. That was just it felt like he had written himself into a corner that he couldn't figure yeah. out how to get out of. I was for two hundred and fifty ish chapters, which is probably like twenty years of Berserk, heavily invested in all of the characters. So Berserk is two hundred and fifty chapters is what you could read and you'd be fine. 
Um, I mean, I think... I don't think... Is there two Eric chapters? No, it was... I, I don't remember what it got to before he died. There's 41 volumes It said that. I just want to find Berserk, Berserk Wiki. <clears throat> no, that's not what I want. Oh, yeah, actually, manga. Drip down. Uh, go to volume 41. So. 300 and something chapters. I don't know. Uh, move. 364. Go. Uh. Those are unvolumized chapters. Yeah, so I'm going to figure out what what is the chapter that released when he died. Uh, Let's go back to one. Um. Oh, I literally clicked on it randomly. Uh, last manga chapter to be released before his death. So the last chapter of the manga Kintaro, the original author, wrote was chapter 363. While he was living. Yeah. Well, I... I guess th there's a possibility he may have written this before. He, let's see. This episode was the last one primarily illustrated by Kintaro Miura. What remained to be illustrated of the episode. Yeah, so the last chapter that Kintaro Miura touched or worked on before he died was 364. And I would say, um, let me move back. Golden Age arc, Conviction arc, Millennium Falcon arc. Uh, I think. So it was in, I think it was during the Millennium Falcon arc that I was starting to lose investment. I don't know where in there. Sure. And yeah, I, nev it, I never, I never fully lost investment. You're over a hundred chapters in. Yeah. I should say I never fully lost investment, but it was, I think it was towards the end of, let's lost children, binding chain, birth ceremony. It was probably around here, Falconia, because I think the holy... The Holy Evil War arc I was still invested in. I think it was the Falconia one where I started to lose interest. So, volume 27. So it's probably some... About about 235, yeah. 236. Well, I, wanna pl I don't want to place an exact number because I... Well, I mean, that's... That's moving into yeah. that area. I'll, I'll never I'll never know quite where I started losing my investment, but it was definitely too... Well... Well past 200 chapters in where yeah. I started to be like, this is starting to wear on me a little bit. And by the way, that's just me. I don't know very many people who are fans of Berserk who ever got like tired of it. Most people stayed hyper-invested. For me, part of what eroded my investment was just the meta-knowledge of I was looking where the story was at. I could tell that the author was struggling to move it forward a little. Not because of lack of talent. He's incredibly talented. It just seemed like... I couldn't tell how he was going to wrap this up, and it felt like he wasn't sure how he would wrap it up either. And um, when I realized that, and I realized how slow the chapters were coming out and how much still had to be done, and I looked at how old he was, I was like, oh, the odds of this finishing aren't great. Yeah. And so I think there was also the meta knowledge of, like, the farther... Once I got over 200 chapters in, and I looked at sort of the meta of the author's health and all that, I was like... 
O. Yeah. I kind I think I know where this is going. Now, I never expected him, because he was like 54 when he died. He died back in 2020, I believe. 21. Yeah, tw- he died in 2021, so he died two years ago. I never expected that. I expected him to live a full life and just not to finish it before he was dead. I never. I think he died of heart failure. And what's sad is he died of heart failure because he overworked himself working on the manga. Well, it shows dedication to your work. Exactly. And that's why I'm saying like this is not a George R. R. Martin thing where Game of Thrones books will never end because he's just not writing well, them. So like, that, that was something I was wanting to talk about tonight, but uh, we'll go on and talk about it another time. Like, it, there was an interview with uh, him and Stephen King. Stephen King writes five pages a day. I've read uh, for one of my classes in college, I took a writing class, and I read the excerpt of his autobiography biography where he talked about that. Look, I, I saw an interview. It was George R. R. Martin and him sitting in the room. He's like, so I have a goal every single day to write five pages. Mm-hmm. And I usually always do that. And what you end up with? And George R. R. Martin's like, I don't know how you do that. Because he like writes like five pages a month. <laughs> yeah. No, not even five pages a month, I don't think. No, I, he says, I usually do that in a month. Month to three months, Did something he? of that nature. Five pages in three months. You have to be severely anal about what you're writing to take that much time on. No, or I shouldn't. I shouldn't make judgment calls when I don't know a situation. But it, I think it's more likely this dude goes to like every comic convention ever. He may, he goes to like every publicity thing for Game of Thrones. I think it's more likely he's just not doing it. He's just not writing like he's supposed to. That's what most people who follow Game of Thrones think. And I'm actually gonna. A song of ice and fire. Why won't you autofill Google? Luke, yes, I don't. Luke, why is your computer like this? Because you you have to have looked at it before. So, uh, Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, and Storm of Swords, the first three books in the Game of Thrones series, all came out... Uh, Within two years of each other. Which isn't bad. Yeah, so two years for each book, roughly. A Feast for Crows took five years. And then A Dance with Dragons took seven years. And what's actually interesting is, I didn't know this, A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons were originally the same book. They they were one book, and... George and his publisher decided that it would be too long to publish like that, so they chopped it in half and released it as two books. So the six-year gap between Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons is just George, quote-unquote, editing the half of Feast for Crows that got cut out. And now, it has been over ten years since Dance with Dragons came out, and Winds of Winter still has not come out. Mm-hmm. So... That was, I, th- I think, this the six, so the fact that Feast for Crows and the Dance like, with Dragons. How old is George R.R. R. Martin? George R.R. R. Martin is 74 years old, and that is, and he is that shape. He's not going to finish Game of Thrones. Everyone knows. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Well, he he lacks no, he lacks motivation to get it finished. That's what most people think he either lacks motivation or he has severe writer's block and has just been 
like avoiding it. Or some people have a theory that Game of Thrones, the ending that everyone hated, people have a theory that that was how the books were going to end, and now George is afraid, like to... sputtering at this point, just like yeah, he... trying to think. Ooh. He's he's afraid to keep going because he doesn't want people to have the same reaction to the books. So there could be any number of reasons. By the way, if it's that, if it's that he saw the reaction to the show's ending and now he's afraid that he'll get that reaction, I have sympathy for him. Yeah. But, again, Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons were a single book. Uh, They split those books in half, and for some reason it took six years for the second half of the book, which had already been written, to come out. Yeah. And, you will notice, the gap in between books releasing... Became exponentially bigger when the show came out. And George The show R- came out in 11. Did it? Uh, 11 or 12, if I remember correctly. Two TV series. Game of Thrones came out. 2011. Well, certainly, he has not released a book since the show came out. Yeah. And I, I remember, well, I don't remember because I wasn't paying attention to Game of Thrones when it first came out. I've read interviews from when the show first came out, like literally when season one was out, where George was joking like, man, wouldn't it be crazy if the show actually caught up to the books and went past it? <laughs> sure enough. But. Well, look, you know what that shows you? It shows you other people are like prioritizing. Uh, Put it, pumping out material than he is. Yeah, it really. But now they're doing like a whole spinoff series. Yeah, I know. And apparently, it's been bad. House of the Dragon. Yeah, dude, it was really good. I've watched it. It was really good. I've heard it wasn't great. Who'd you hear that from? A couple different people at the church. No. Am I gonna have to beat them up? No, they weren't church. Okay. No, they were. I liked it a lot. House of the Dragon was good. I hated, I hated season eight of Game of Thrones. Everyone did. Yeah, everyone did. Except for, um... Now, now notice what they talk about in season eight is on this particular article that we have right here opened up. The eighth and final uh, uh, season premiered on April 14, 2019. That's all they have. Yeah. <laughs> Seventh season premiered on July 16, 2017. That's it. On both of those. Yeah. My aunt watched Game of Thrones, and she was thoroughly upset with it, too. I was so angry. I don't even know what they did. I just know they did something. I can't, if you've not watched Game of Thrones, I can't help you. I know several people who are like, yeah, dude, like, Game of Thrones is so good. I'm like, I can't watch it. I can't. Why? I know what's in Game of Thrones. I know that that's probably the reason. What specifically, though? All of it as a whole. Okay. Like, I don't want to consume that sort of material. What sort of material? Obviously, the intense amount of sexual things. I was trying to get to that. Is that the main thing? That's the main thing. Okay. You know what's so funny? Is, um... I, I feel the same way you do. I generally avoid... Um, uh, uh, TV shows with lots of nudity like that. Mm-hmm. 
Because obviously most guys struggle with lust. Sorry, women listening to this, if you thought that there are men who don't struggle with lust. I have a, uh, I have a friend, a very wise man I know, who once told me um, about pornography, which he was not saying this to justify pornography. He was saying this because to talk about it's something that every man struggles with is lust and how readily available that kind there, of stuff there's is. There's a series called Every Young Man's Battle, and it's about that. Yeah, and I remember he told me something once where he said, yeah... I have, a, I have a, my, the thing, what I have to say on pornography is I, this is my stance on it. And I, I, I'm stuttering because I can't, I can't remember the exact phrasing. He says something effective. My, my, my thing about pornography is, this is how I look at it. Pornography is something that half of all men struggle with and the other half are lying about it. Yeah. Which is true. Uh, women out there, if you... If you're, and women can struggle with it too. Well, that that's true. But what I'm getting at is, like, women. If you've met a guy who says that he doesn't struggle with anything like that or anything like that, most likely you you may want to be careful. Yeah, I wouldn't say no. He doesn't struggle with that. Oh, he's lying. No, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Boy. And also, lying has a malicious thing to it. Where like a lot of men won't will quote unquote lie about it just because it's something they're ashamed of. Exactly, and they're afraid it, of being it, judged. It, they're for trying it. to hide in their shame. Yeah, they're trying. They're afraid of being judged for it. So it's not just a matter of like they lie about it because they want to because they're being malicious or something. It's yeah. obvious. It's oftentimes a defense thing. Yeah, a defense mechanism. We got super off track. What I was gonna say is I usually don't watch stuff like that for the same reason. I started watching Game of Thrones when I wasn't prioritizing yeah. putting up those boundaries because I did. I wasn't. I didn't think porn was a big deal back when I first started watching Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Now I realize it is. But, I will say of Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is the only story I ever watched where whenever there was nudity on screen, I was annoyed. I was like, get back to the story! Yeah. I'm not here for boobs, I'm here for Tyrion! I'm here and for... Jamie. I'm here for Peter Dinklage and Joel. <laughs> Peter Dinklage and Joel. Joel. You made me... I had to sit through nine episodes of The Last of Us with no Joel. Give me Joel, Game of Thrones! <laughs> Alrighty. That's good to be that time. Yeah. Alrighty, but so... But I, I need to talk about JoJo... Do you? I thought you already did. No, I was going to talk about the entire new universe. Excuse me. Because um, we got off track again. And that's what's the best thing about this podcast is how organically our conversations go wild. Yes. But, so, um, parts one through six. You've seen them. you got the feel for them. Uh, a staple of parts one through six is the narration. The guy who goes like... Mm-hmm. Like 1938. Yes, yes. Nazi Germany is Narrator. on the rise. Yeah, something that I've real that I didn't notice and or really think about until now when I'm sort of looking back on Steel Ball Run and Joe Jolene and Jojo Lands is there's narration in this too. There's square boxes. Yeah, but it's usually done by a character in the um in the series, and it's usually. Not just narrating, it's usually not Star Wars scrolling text style narration where it tells you what's happening. It's usually 
the narr- inner monologue or something about nature. Or something. Well, that, but it's also in the first chapter or second chapter, usually where it appears, it'll tell you something about what the series is going to be about. So, for example, how many chapters of Steel Ball Run have you read so far? Not even one. You told me you started it. I did. I've started it. I haven't finished chapter one yet. Oh my gosh. So, chapter two of Steel Ball Run includes narration from Johnny Joe Star. Okay. And the narration from Johnny Joe Star is what he says is this is the story of me learning to walk. Not in a physical sense, but in more of an adolescence to adulthood kind of way. And what you see throughout the rest of the series is Johnny's journey. He's journeying with Gyro because he thinks that Gyro's spin, which is this universe's version of Hamon, might help, might cure his paralysis. And spoilers, you already know this, but spoilers anyway for part seven is Johnny does get his ability to walk back. He is walking at the end. But the narration made it clear the story of him learning to walk is not the story of him learning to walk. It's it's a story of growing up. Yeah, it's the story of him growing up, which it is. That's why the sto- that's why Steel Ball Run is so beloved because of Johnny's character arc and the growth he goes through. And so that narration at the beginning has a double meaning of Johnny learns to walk physically. They call that a double entendre. Yeah, they call they call they call that. Clever. <laughs> Clever girl. <laughs> but so... You, I love making that quote, too. That's one of my other... Clever girl. You might even say that Johnny's paralysis and his ability to walk is a metaphor, a metapahor. Met- metapahor? Yeah. A metapahor for his childish, selfish, immature mindset that he starts out with and his heroic selfless mindset that he has developed at the end of the series. He has gone from a child to a man, and directly alongside that, he has been regaining his ability to walk. And so what it does is it paints this really beautiful picture of just this metaphor for him regaining his ability to walk as him becoming a man Mm -hmm. instead of a limp noodle. Because his legs were limp noodles at the start. Yeah, oh, they're still limp noodles. Yeah, but so that, that hormone is strong. Yeah, but so I'm gonna go to Jojo Land's part now because I want to end with Jojo Lian. Yeah, because that's the one that's most contentious for me. Jojo Land's part one. I mean, chapter one that we read last month had Jodio narrating saying, "This is the story of a boy going on to become extremely rich in the subtropical islands." Yeah. And then halfway through the chapter, when he's saying that narration again, he says, This is the story of a man going to boy becoming rich in the subtropical islands. He says, What, is that not humble enough for you? Granted, this is a story about me becoming rich, literally, but it's also a story of me becoming rich in another way. And then he talks about mechanisms, social structures, and all of that, the yeah. way his mother benefits from it. So it's already it's already signaling to you that Jodio becoming rich monetarily is going to be a met is going to be a symbolic representation of something else going on inwardly with him of something so he's going to lose his psychopathy i think that might be part of it yeah, yeah. he's going to learn to he's going to learn to be a normal per he's going to lose he's going to be the first jojo to conquer his autism i was about to say that <laughs> <laughs> he's going to do what jotaro couldn't <laughs> To this day, he still hasn't conquered it. 
But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. The wealth. Wait, wait, so in 88, he was what? 19? In 88. No, he was 17. Yeah, 17. And by the way, the, the year. Arky, so he's in his 50s and still hasn't conquered his autism. Yeah, he is uh, in Jolene's arc 2011. He is canonically 40. Which you look at him in Jolene's arc, you're like, you're not 40. <laughs> no, he's not 40. Yeah. He's like 26. Yeah. It's also just weird to think about, like, the 17-year-old from Part 3 is now 40. It's like, that feels weird. <laughs> yeah. But so... Uh, wait, wait, wait. So now he'd be... He'd be 53 now. Yeah, he'd be in he'd, his... He'd 50s. be almost the age that Joseph was in Part 3. Not all... Joseph was 69 in Part oh, 3. Oh, I thought he was 50-something. No, he looks 50s because he's got hormone. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got hormone. Hormone. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> now, Caesar, if Caesar was still alive, he would have been 71 and he would have looked like he's in his 40s. <laughs> he would have looked like dirt. <laughs> now, because Caesar would take Hamon seriously. So, oh, yes. Caesar would look younger. Caesar was the Lisa Lisa of the group. <laughs> yeah. But, so, you get what, you get what I'm saying? Yes. The wealth he gets throughout the series is going to be directly related and metaphorical to something that he is receiving... I'm going to guess it's knowledge. Probably something like that. Now, what made me go back and reassess my opinion of Joe Jolene and its ending, I do not reassess my opinion that it was rushed. It was. There's a lot of stuff about it that was rushed. However, I have begun to understand what Araki was trying to do, and I really like it. So what helped me understand is I've known this for a long time. I just never read the actual interview, so it didn't click for me. It says on the JoJo Wiki that the name Jojolian, which up until JoJo Lance came out, that was the only title of a JoJo arc that had JoJo in it. Mm-hmm. Arc, there was a trivia note on the JoJo Jojolian page that said that Arky chose the name Jojolian for the arc by combining the name Jojo with the word Yuangelion. Which yeah. yeah, which is the Greek word for gospel. And he said and he said in the interview that by combining those two words, by combining Jojo and Gospel, Euangelion, he was trying to quote signify the existence of Josuke in the world. And I didn't understand what he meant by that until Until you noticed that it was two people trying to become one. No, that's not what it was. Okay. What I did is I read the actual inter- a translation of the actual interview as opposed to the JoJo Wiki summarization of it. Sure. And that helped me understand it better. Because Araki, in the interview, he talks about the meaning of Euangelion. And obviously any Christian will just know the gospel part of it. It means yeah. gospel. It means literally means good news. And so I was always wondering, like, how does jo- how does good news combine with Josuke to represent him? I don't get that. What I found out when I read the interview was Araki did the Wikipedia thing, the dictionary thing, where he lists off a whole bunch of definitions. And when I read all the other definitions he was taking into mind, it clicked. Because one of the definitions of euangelion, one of the possible definitions, aside from gospel, good news, is blessed. And then it clicked. Because the opening narration of chapter one of Jojolian, it's not actually done by Josuke, it's done by his love interest, Yasuho. And she, in her narration, is this is the story about breaking a curse. 
And she, in her narration, she talks about what curses are, what people have generally interpreted to be curses, why people think that curses exist. So she's talking about like all of the different sort of, sort of theological, religious, philosophical ideas of what a curse is. And she ends her narration by saying, but one thing that everyone knows is this, a curse has to be broken. And so, there is a, the Higashikata family that Josuke is adopted by, they have a cur- they have an actual curse, which is they, the, the eldest son of every generation of their family is affected by a disease called the rock disease, which causes the eldest son's skin to turn rock hard, and it eventually causes them to die. And so they have different ways, different superstitious ways to try and fight it. They think one of the ways they do it is um, they, will, they will try and have their eldest son cross-dress as a girl to try and trick the curse by thinking it's a girl instead of a boy or something like that. There have been a couple of times that they found ways to transfer the curse to someone else in the family. So like a mother or a father will give up their life for the son. Mm-hmm. And this arc ends with Josuke and Yasuho. They defeat the main villain and that breaks the curse on the Higashikata family. Now, this goes into one of the rushed parts of the manga, which is, to this day, I have no idea why killing the villain causes the curse to be broken. Yeah. A- Wait, actually... Never mind, I do know why. Excuse me, there is an explanation for it. I don't know why the curse exists, I should say. I don't know why they have that curse or anything like that. I do know why they the curse was broken. It was because they actually transferred the curse to the villain and had it kill him. So at that point, it's no longer in the family. It's on him because they've only ever transferred it to other people in the family. Just like uh, someone else in the family gives up their life for that person aff- afflicted. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea is now the curse is permanently on that dude who died. So um, so it made sense to me. And a lot of stuff fell into place when I realized that one of the ways Araki understands the meaning of Evangelion is blessed. Because mm-hmm. in that case, the Jojo Leon would, be, would mean... Either the blessed Jojo or the Jojo who blesses. And what's the opposite of a curse? Or the Jojo who blessed. Yeah. And what's the opposite of a curse? Blessed. Yeah, a blessing. And so the story ends with Josuke and Yasuho breaking the curse on this family, which I think that's where the meaning of the story comes in. Mm-hmm. And so then if you look for the secondary meaning, because I'm convinced that all of all three of these arcs have a secondary meaning, even though... It's not made clear. It's made very clear in Steel Ball Run because he says, "Yeah," because he says it, and it's made very clear in JoJo Lands because he says it. Like this, we're not just talking literal here. It's not, it's not made clear in JoJo Land, but I'm convinced that it's there. And I think the curse is, um, Josuke wakes up in part in chapter one with no memory of who he is, no memory of his relatives, no memory of his family, and he spends a large portion of part eight. Wanting to find his family and wanting to find a place to belong, even though he's been adopted by by the Higashikatas, he wants to find his real family. He wants to find his real mother, and all that. And when he finds out that he's actually two different people, a lot of stuff folds out from there. But the final chapter ends with Josuke actually meeting meeting one of the mothers of his two of the two dudes who were combined to make him, and he discovers. That he had thought that he thought that she had abandoned him, like she had stopped looking for him after his after he disappeared, and he finds out that she didn't. She never stopped looking for him, but he also finds out that even though she never stopped looking for him, she has started a family of her own. She has moved on in the sense that she her life has progressed, 
And so he decide, and so he chooses not to go meet her and reveal to her that he's still alive because he doesn't want to interrupt her her life that she started. Mm-hmm. And the chap the final chapter of Joe Jolian ends with him going back to the Higashikata family and joining them and fully becoming a member of their family. And so I think the metaphorical idea there is Jojo is the Jojo Josuke is the Jojo who blesses because he blessed the Higashikatas by breaking their curse. But he's also the Jojo who is blessed because he had a curse of his own, which is the curse of not belonging. The curse of no family, and that was broken from him when he accepted them as his true family. And he even says in that final chapter, like, he knows that he's made up two two different people, Joseph Fumikujo and Yoshikage Kirabi. He says, like, both of them, they died when I was made. I'm not either of them. I'm me. I was born, like, a year ago. <laughs> and so he basically says, I've, I've just got to move on and make do with my new family. And so... Understanding that, I have got, I have developed a very a new dimension of appreciation for Jojolian because I'm I'm starting to see an overarching idea that Arky's putting in each new arc in this new universe that I really like. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> I am literally sitting here fighting sleep. I can talk louder. It's not gonna help. I will fall asleep on you. I will fall asleep on you. By the way, one of the guys at our church, um, I'm not going to say who, said that he's going to write an intro song for us. Interesting. So we may have an intro song now. Okay. I was thinking about maybe asking one guy to see if we can get a graphic done. Ooh. You, you know him personally. You used to hang out with him a whole bunch. Used to. You and uh, one of our female friends... Thought so. Yeah, so, um, I thought about reaching out to him, but yeah, so. Alright, cool. Well, this has been a long episode. I actually, let's pull this up. It's gonna wake up. Where's your mouth? It, it had to wake up. <laughs> three, three and a half hours! Yeah, we started recording a while ago. We can't. So we started this by saying we would stitch the Last of Us part. The Last well, of Us. Well, we can re- cut parts. We can cut it. We can. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot to cut. No, what I'm saying is cut, cut the JoJo out, and make it its own thing, while cutting the rest of it and putting it with the Last of Us. What's the rest of it? Ang is the prize-winning hog. <laughs> is that going to get it up to two? I guess it doesn't matter. It, it will. Like some, we remember we have another recording of one we had. Two. We had two of them that we did. Two reactionary things. Did we? Yeah, we did. We had the Last of Us one, and then we had um. I don't remember where the other one was, but we had. You mean the vending machine thing? Yes. Dude, I okay. So I thought so because when you released. The Train to Busan one, and that wasn't in there. I was really upset. I, was like, I, I just forgot to add it on. Is what it did. Why would you need? I thought we recorded that all together. We didn't. Did we not? No, we did just a separate recording. Oh, that is. Why did we do that? It's stitchable. We need to be better. It was just the. Do not be sorry. Be better. 
It's because I had to reset the microphone. Because remember the microphone was like right up here? Oh, yeah. And I had to move it over there. So. Yeah. All right. It's been another long episode. Yep. And I'm dying on the inside because I'm tired. Yeah! Thank you for tuning in to this episode of <laughs> the Coronavirus Survival Guide. Yeah! We hope you have a wonderful evening, and until next time.